Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections. This is episode 25 and it's a very special one as we start to approach Christmas. We're talking about a Christmas movie, baby. And of course, that is Rocky Four. Not only do I have one, but I have two conversations on this. The first one will be with Stu with him where we talk about the original 1985 cut of the film. And the second conversation, which was meant to be just a quick chat with uh, previous guest Liam Dempsey, friend of the podcast, to talk about the new director's ultimate cut, Rocky versus Drago. I ended up going a little bit long, so that, that's tacked on the end for you hardcore Rocky and Sly fans. If you're unaware what we do here on this podcast, we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine... Are they the greatest film family of all time? This episode's a very special one for me. Uh, not only, yeah, do I have the two guests, but Stu Whiffen is one of the people who kind of uh, made me think I could become a podcaster and take that whichever way you want, uh, Stu, if you're listening. That could be a good or a bad thing. But yeah, no, listening to Hardcore Listing and all the stuff he, he was doing, I was like, you know what? I can give that a go. And I gave it a go. And here I am, however many episodes deep. And we're like... 159 at this point and oh, bloody hell yeah that's a lot of episodes so you can either thank or blame Stu with him for that obviously the regular spoiler warnings do apply we talk about every detail of this 36 year old film so if you haven't seen it now's your time to duck out and get on over to amazon prime where you can stream not just this but all the rocky films which uh, i really recommend maybe not one of them but you'll have to listen to this chat to find out which one that may be. So I guess all that's left to do is to buy your brother-in-law a sex robot, head on over to Russia to avenge the death of your best friend in an ultimate bout of East versus West that in the process may solve the Cold War. And what better way to train than running up a mountain and shouting your opponent's name as we make some Coppola connections. Ding, ding. The year is 1985, and the 80s has very much got their hold on the Rocky franchise, with Sylvester Stallone written and directed Rocky IV, starring the man himself, Carl Weathers, Dolph Lundgren, Bridget Nielsen, and today's Coppola connection, Talia Shire. Joining me in my corner to decide if this film is flag-waving propaganda or a perfect slice of 80s cinema is possibly the busiest man in podcasting. You may know him from Hardcore Listing, off the beaten track, acceptable in the 80s, the MMA fan podcast, the Pod Bible podcast, just to name a few. Of course, Stu Whiffin. Stu, do you have what it takes to go the distance and do you have a heart of fire? Mate, I am fight fit. Ring that bell. <laughs> <laughs> how you doing? You're right. I'm very well. Yourself? Like yeah. how how uh, how how have you been? Um, I'm good. I'm good. Do you know what? I actually went boxing this morning. So, uh, so I'm actually completely in the right mindset as well. So, yeah, I'm good to go, buddy. I'm good to go. Thank you for that kind uh, welcome as well. No worries. So, when when you go boxing, do you do you put together a little playlist when you're like kind of like sparring or kind of training? Is that is and what are your go tos? 
I'd love to say I had a bit of Bill Conti on this morning, but I didn't. Uh, Pearl Jam <laughs> this morning, bizarrely. Nice, um, nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be lying uh, when, when I go for my little runs. I'd be lying if I said I've not listened to Hearts on Fire a few times. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I actually what... think, I mean, when we talk about the film, I, I'm quite keen to discuss the soundtrack. Um but uh, yeah, the actual Rocky theme, like "Gonna Fly Now," the Bill Conti instrumental. Oh my god! I honestly think, aside from its connections to to to, to the Rocky films, I think it's a masterpiece of music. I think it's absolutely glorious. What I love about the the "Gonna Fly Now" uh, Bill Conti versions are each film he kind of like mm. makes it a part of the time. So I love it when you get to number two. All of a sudden, it's got that like seventies discos. That's the best one. That That's the best bass. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 you, you you're going for your run you expect like dozens of kids to come behind you as you're like Absolutely. running up it the has high to work street. that way if it goes the other way it's weird if you start chasing <laughs> a load of kids down the street you could get yourself definitely. in a few problems <laughs> definitely especially if you're yeah your gray tracksuit looking all sweaty yes <laughs> yeah. it's not the look you want to be going for it's definitely not brother <laughs> um so yeah so well, in regards to soundtrack, this one will be an interesting one to talk about because obviously Bill Conti has stepped to the side and we have Vince DiCola, which is a man like a while ago, somebody, uh, it's, it's that thing with, with podcasts and you, sometimes people like hand you an email address and it's just working up the courage to email that person. So I, I have in my possession Vince DiCola's email Whoa, address. Wow, seriously? Yeah, yeah, and I just l would love to speak to him about this soundtrack. Because there's something about his version of uh, the Rocky theme mm. that I don't even think is used in this film. Like, uh, it's yeah, it's an absolute like marvelous piece of music. And I'm gonna I'm gonna jump the gun here and just play a clip of that music just because it. it's it. not in the film, so we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about it anyway. But okay. yeah, th this blows my mind every time I hear it. Lost for words. Um, <laughs> instantly, I'm picturing someone playing a six-string bass guitar very high, very high up. Yep. It's planted quite tightly on their chest. Um, that 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 version sounds like basically knowing Bullseye when it'd go from the prize round and the the, the whole ball would turn around. And you just needed some sort of incidental game show music. Yeah. If that was made in the states, that's the sort of music you'd you know you'd hear as like there was some kind of like turning of the ball for the next round. Well, you wouldn't be surprised if like one of the engineers on that version was cocaine. Do you know what I mean? Like it sounds like 100%. it sounds like cocaine was very much in the studio helping produce yeah. that version. Like yeah. I, I I did like a stupid video on like my socials a while ago, like kind of envisaging what these like session players would look like mm. for those different versions. And obviously like, yeah, when it came to like, you imagine like the, the guy for the first one, pretty cool turtleneck sweater playing the bass. Second one, a bit more jazzed up, nice, nice shirt. 
And then, yeah, when you get to that Vince DiCola one, it's a keytar, powder around the nose, just really shredding it, yeah. like messing about with that kind of pitch, pitch wiggle and stuff like that, Definitely. going absolutely bloody mental. Definitely. <laughs> so, suit jacket, suit deep... jacket, no shirt, like some kind of suit jacket, <laughs> nothing on underneath it. <laughs> quite, a few, quite a few sh- rings on the fingers. I'll, I'll, I'll share the video around when um, when this episode goes out, and I'll be sure to tag you in it because I do. think I, I think I did get the suit jacket rolled up sleeves, real 100%. Miami Vice, 100%. what white t shirt or maybe like a pink t shirt underneath. Mm-hmm. I went for that real vibe. Um, so yeah, before we get too deep down the rocky rabbit hole, I always like to ask my guests what their kind of Coppola credentials are and kind of how they became aware of the Coppola family as this kind of entity of cinema. So like whether it was a certain person or like how, yeah, when you've realized that, oh, there's not just one of them, there's kind of loads of them. I think the first film, I'm just, I I had to think about this. The first sort of anything related was probably The Outsiders. I imagine Outsiders was probably the, the, it was either The Outsiders or if, if we're going loose connections, it would have been Rocky II, um, which is, is still my fave. Um, but I think, yeah, Outsiders. And then I, I imagine I was very, very, I mean, I'm, I'm 48, so I, I would have probably caught Outsiders in the very early 80s. When did that come out? 83. I actually covered it very recently with uh, James right. King on this podcast. So, yeah, yeah, it's like 83, so, that one. So, I would have been 10 then. So, I reckon I probably saw Outsiders when I was maybe, you know, by the time it got to video, I imagine. So, maybe I was 12. Um, <laughs> and I suppose around about then, I would have been watching Rocky films. Um, probably hadn't seen The Godfather at that point. Um, <laughs> that would have come a couple of years later. Um yeah, I was immersed in police academy films at this point. Like, so, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think there's any. Uh, uh, there's not any of that family in any police academy films, I'm sure. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I think it would have been The Outsiders, and and I think that that film like holds up. I think it's it's a, it's a cracking movie. I I absolutely love it. It's I I I only figured out well not figured out recently, but only recently it dawned on me. It's the only like quote from a film i've got like tattooed on me so i've got stay gold tattooed on me just because like oh sorry can yeah, I swear yeah. On your podcast yeah like, of course you can swear away yeah yeah fucking swear away have yeah, you got really got stay gold pony boy tattooed i got st- just stay gold yeah 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 yeah. yeah oh yeah. that's fucking gold <laughs> well it, it just like it's that it's that kind of film that it's one of the ones especially for me that i'm watching it again recently it mm. it really hold it really sp- spoke to me like seeing it as a teenager and then yeah. kind of re-watching it now because it's a film that like allows i don't know it, it kind of says if you're a sensitive like man be a sensitive man or if you're like yeah. a sensitive boy like i've i've got a very young son and it's kind of for me there's like this weird excitement in me that it's like oh, i've got a film like that to show him at a certain yeah. age like a, a rites of passage to be like it's okay if you're into like the arts do you know what i mean like yeah. not, like you don't have to be into football and all these blokey bloke things. You yeah. can kind of, if you want to write, you fucking write, buddy. <laughs> totally, totally. Amazing. So, um, yeah, this is a weird one. Have you ever met a Coppola, Stu? I don't think so. I had to, I had to <laughs> think about this. Uh, see, I've seen Phantom Planet. Um, and I think that's probably the closest. So maybe I've been in a room with one. <laughs> Perfect. You, yeah, you've been you've been in a room with Adrian's son. 
<laughs> that is pretty fucking good. And like, I I I I always love that connection. Like, mm. uh, that's that's kind of a, a big fact bomb on this podcast. When like I drop that on people, and like, so when we get to one of the later questions, mm. um, and they go, "Oh, we get we get rid of Jason Schwartzman." I'm like. You get rid of that amazing theme from the OC. You get rid of California because he wrote that, baby. Uh-oh. <laughs> he, might, he might be going in mine. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so I guess you've alluded to this, but would it have been a Rocky film that would have been your first introduction to Talia Shire? Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, um, yeah, again, like I say, Godfather come uh, a lot later. and And it's really weird because... I think I I think her role becomes lesser as the, the 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 franchise starts to kind of you know unfold and I think I think in the first two films I think she's amazing and and I think you know films 3 and 4 she she plays her part and she plays it well mm-hmm. but uh, again you know not just the everything to do with 3 and 4 you know, it is all very overblown and, and becomes <laughs> a far different kind of set of films to the first two. Uh, well, yeah. and, and and I'm all over that, by the way. You know, <laughs> I, I love that pomposity and the, the, the cocaine, like, adult production and everything being bigger and um, flashier and, you know, robots featuring. Um, you know, I'm all over that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it was the first... I think I saw two before I saw one. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, my, my introduction to it would have been Rocky Two. Well, because those, those first, well, I think all of, like, especially those first two Rocky films, as much as they are seen as these great sports films, it's all about the relationship yeah. between Rocky and Adrian. And I think, like, that's what really, like, wins it for me, is just that kind of, that tenderness between them. And even, like, Rocky Three, like, despite it kind of having, like, I don't know, being dripped in grease and homoeroticism, like, there's that amazing scene of, adrian on the beach kind of giving like what would have been in the first two the the mickey speech where she yeah. kind of like tells him like pull your shit together yeah you you can do this and like i know in in the in in number four we'll get to it but she kind of has a a similar speech and i, I saw something recently which was like adrian tells rocky in rocky four you can't win and when it comes to rocky balboa it's like well she's dead like, you told me I couldn't win in that one, so you're dead. <laughs> Talia, you're not coming back. <laughs> Just how it rolls in the world of Stallone. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that, you know, I'm all over the, the Greece and the, uh, the the eroticism of three. I think it's just golden. And, and mm-hmm. I do think that that scene when she's on the beach kind of pulls it back a little bit from the ridiculousness of the the, the race scene and you know yeah and, yeah, yeah. And the, it, the crop tops it comes, and it, it comes right after that as well yeah. that that that's the majesty of yeah. sylvester stallone right it's like yeah. <laughs> like uh and I, I you know like i'm a fan of burt young as well i i think he's good like i don't mm-hmm. know he gets a, he gets a bad rap in a lot of stuff uh, and and I think like Paulie's a a, a a cracking character, and and the fact that yeah he's he's the brother of of, of Rocky's love interest, and, and just to sort of touch on the fact that you said that them films are all based around uh, 
you know, the first two very much so like their relationship. And I love that. What's not to love about that format? And and Stallone's wise to know that, you know, and and, and works that so nicely that he's forever the underdog. You know, whatever mm-hmm. happens, he's forever the underdog. And he's just doing it for love, whether it's love for mm-hmm. Apollo, whether it's, you know, love for Mickey, whether it's yep. love for Adrian. And like, you can't not love them films. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, at any given point, the training montage is only around the corner. And when that comes, oh my God, I'd, I'd like to know if that, what, what effect that had. And I don't want to sort of generalize here. And I'm certainly not trying to be sort of sexist in any way, shape or form, but how teenage girls found that because as a teenage boy, them training montages were the reason that I learned to box. They were the things that made me just think I want to be Rocky Balboa. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, want, I want to do that. You know, it, it fires me up. And I can't, to this day, it's, it's so tragic, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't. If I hear Hearts on Fire, if I hear, you know, the Bill Conti theme, you know, Burning Heart, any of them, I get fired up and I think, oh, I want to go yeah. for a run. Or, like, oh, you know, I want to, because it's just in my muscle memory now that they just evoke such strong memories and like really lovely memories and really happy memories and yeah my my lover for them films the them first four films are yeah love it we don't talk about yeah, the fifth let, one. let's not talk about number five <laughs> uh you mentioned Burt Young and we'll, we'll get on to him in a bit more depth but uh he's the true villain of the Rocky films right as much as as much as Paulie is is a fantastic character and well we'll talk about his weird uh <laughs> his weird plot line that he has in this film which i'm not sure if you've seen the new cut of the film has no. been complete it's been completely exercised stallone has said i don't like the robot anymore so there's like somewhat less poorly in it right and it, yeah it I guess i'm trying to picture how much poorly's in for i've not seen for for maybe a couple maybe two years now um but yeah, whenever I picture him in that film, that robot's never too far away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but there is like the so the new cut, and uh, I'll be I'll be slicing in a little chat I had with a uh, um, friend of the podcast, Liam Dempsey, later on in the episode um, about the new about the new cut. But it it tries to make this film more serious, like really goes in, and there there is some really interesting stuff that was kind of on the cutting room floor whether it's um there's a meeting that rocky has with the kind of like boxing board about why like about if he should fight drago and them kind of saying and like goes to explain why he's it's not a it's not like a kind of registered match or anything like that and why he goes to russia do you know what i mean like he kind of like i think that's that Oh, I'm gay that that didn't make the original release because it, it's really strange. I went on a, um, a film podcast uh, a year or so ago um, called Films to be Buried With um, and I chose the, the, the boxing film Journeyman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and I, I love the fact that, that that highlights the dangers of boxing and then yeah. breaks it down, which after the, you know Apollo's passing, it kind of like, it's just on to avenge, avenge rather than mm-hmm. kind of looking at it. And because Stallone's actually inducted into the boxing hall of fame, mm-hmm. um, which is incredible, um, you know, for services to boxing. And that, that shows the sort of gravitas of that 
that franchise that there must be so many world champion, you know, fighters that that went down the gym after watching yeah, yeah. them films. But uh, yeah, and 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 I, and I think that's really good that you know there was scenes where that's kind of addressed and the dangers of that uh, are kind of spelt out a little bit because you know obviously at the scene when Apollo dies, it's absolutely harrowing. Um, but then it seems to sort of move on quite quickly from it. And mm-hmm. and you know you they bury him and it's job done and it's you know and I think the fact that there was some some attention paid to you know how fights are sanctioned and things like that I think that's really yeah, interesting yeah. I, I'm I'm really curious to see that yeah yeah and then another thing uh, I'm sure we'll talk about him in a lot more detail but my my kind of MVP of the Rocky franchise is Tony Burton as Duke <sighs> and he, he gets he gets a beautiful speech at Apollo's wedding, which all like like obviously we get that amazing speech that he gives to Rocky kind of uh, later on in this film when he's kind of like takes him to one side when they're at that kind of well barn in the middle of yeah. nowhere. Um, but yeah, he he actually gets to talk at um, Apollo's funeral, and it's just it's just heartbreaking because like you you really get that feeling of how much like Apollo meant to him and just kind of, I don't know, like that, at that moment when like, ah, oh, yeah. When, when, when Tony Burton says this, throw in the damn oh, town. Oh man. The look, the look yes, on I've, his I've face. I've literally just got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, yeah. but yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get to that. So, um, before we, yeah, really get into the film, um, Let's listen to the trailer. Today, the Soviet Union has officially entered professional boxing. This is not just an exhibition fight. This is us against them. He would like to compete against anyone who is qualified. Drago is the most perfectly trained athlete ever. Whatever he hits, he'll be strong. He could have stopped the fight. He could have saved his best friend's life. I'll never forget you, Apollo. But now, the one thing he can't do is walk away. Has the fight date been set yet? December 25th. Where? It's in Russia. Are you nuts? Miss Balboa, when will you be going to Russia? I'm not going to Russia. I don't know what you're talking about. He's had one professional fight, and one man is dead. To Tabibi, he's going to have to kill me. Why can't you change your thinking? Because I'm a fighter. You can't win!
like um 90 percent of this film i'm not sure how much of that trailer works as an audio format because it is very much montage heavy right it's uh like this film like yeah well we'll get to the montage but before we do that i must ask you Stu, like i do with all my guests um to give us a brief plot synopsis of what this film is all about so um as we go into uh, to rocky 4 off the back of uh rocky 3 where um I, I guess Stallone has put his kind of relationship. Uh, he, well, he, he's bonded now with Apollo. Apollo's trained him to be Clubber Lang, uh, and then what, what you imagine will be, a, you know, his retirement. It isn't, um, and then basically Apollo's retired, and and all of a sudden we see Ivan Drago, uh, Dolph Lundgren's character, uh, start to sort of uh, go through the ranks. Um, and I love the way that the Rocky films show uh, the, the the kind of snippets from the the fights that have gone. You know, they've done it with Clubber Lang, just kind of racing through, just showing, you know, the devastation that they leave behind. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. And um, and then yeah, it it, it kind of uh, finds its way onto Apollo's radar, uh, and Apollo thinks he can take him. And and as you heard in that trailer, you know, everything he touches, he destroys. Um, Apollo thinks he can do it, um, makes his huge ring walk uh, to living in America um, uh, with, with James Brand in it as well. Um, and then, uh, spoiler alert, um, he does destroy everything he touches and uh, Apollo dies in the ring, uh, in Rocky's arms. Rocky looks up, big moment of music, and yeah, the the, the eyes meet, he looks up at at Drago and Drago looks down and then I guess the plot then starts to sort of unfold into to Rocky's you know he can't walk away as they say on the uh the the, the trailer and uh and yeah he uh he he then basically goes to Russia and starts training in the snow and goes old school and it, it's it's the kind of the montage is split so Drago is is all steroids and state of the art kind of uh technology and Rocky goes back to kind of uh, chopping wood with axes and, and running up mountains in leather jackets, and uh, and I'm all <laughs> over it, and I'm all over it. And then obviously uh, the fight happens, and uh, and again, spoiler alert, you know, Rocky beats Drago, and then saves the world, gives uh, the uh, the most amazing uh, speech um, to um, Mikhail Gorbachev, who happens to be uh, watching the fight. Uh, mm. It was Gorbachev, wasn't it? It's supposed to be, and there's a fun fact about that actor. So that um, that actor's name is uh, David Lloyd Austin, and he, he he's just credited as Soviet leader in this, right? But also actually played Gorbachev in uh, Naked Gun. Oh, uh, really? A, 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 yeah, yeah. Three years later, so definitely got typecast as being. Oh, you look a bit like Gorbachev. Come on in. Like let's just that, let's that just his... let's just make up a little bit of uh, birthmark on your head, and then we're, we're off. <laughs> like, that's all you need. Catch up. Perfect. <laughs> so, um, what, um, what would have been your first experience watching this film? Where, where did you first see it? So, um, this is the greatest cinematic experience of my life. Yes. Um, there's a theatre in Greys where I live in Essex, and uh, and it was called the State. It's still there. It's a listed building. It's been derelict for for maybe I, I imagine since the late eighties. Um, 
And it's one of those huge, huge old style theatres, two tiers. When you walked in, there was two sort of marble staircases that you went up and it's very posh for a very working class poor town. <laughs> and, um, and before the film would start, uh, an organist would come out of the stage playing this huge sort of organ and we'd all be throwing cola cubes and pear drops at him. <laughs> um, but like most kids my age, we saw that trailer on the TV for Rocky Four. Um, and I should say that I've been to um, some of the biggest actual boxing matches you know, this country's ever seen uh, and been in the crowd. Uh, beautiful venues like York Hall all up to the O2 and I've experienced some electric nights watching boxing. However, it felt like the entire contents of my school emptied into the State Theatre to watch Rocky Four, And right from the very off, the minute that Apollo comes out with James Brand, everyone was standing up. And then when the fight started everybody was cheering and sort of shadow boxing and it was like he was at the fight and then I remember when Apollo died I could see all the girls in my year crying and I was trying to be tough with my mates but I was desperately wanting to cry because I was like no, <laughs> god no uh and then yeah when he fought Drago like the whole of the theater and like I said I reckon there was maybe 2,000 people in there was uh, chanting, cheering, standing. It was the best cinematic experience of my life, bar none. Amazing. That's perfect. <laughs> that's that's what you want to hear. That's uh, that, that's why you're here, Stu. That, that, uh, that, that theatre, just to give if you want to ever, ever want to see what it looks like, when they made the film Godzilla and Jamiroquai made a video called Deeper Underground, where yeah, he's yeah. dancing on these chairs and there's water everywhere, that's the state. And also... Oh, the cinema scene in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that is the State Theatre as well. Oh, that's perfect. I'm not <laughs> sure if... You, I, I need to get the name of it, um, but there is a film coming out that... Um, it's like John Byrne falls in it, like a, a lot of like Italian-American actors and stuff like that, but there is a film that's like due out in the next year or so that's all about like this kind of Italian-American community when Rocky Free is coming out. So it's kind of like one of those like coming it looks like a coming of age drama. Oh wow. All about all about like that kind of like we need to get tickets for the big night and stuff like that. Yeah. And it very much it sounds like that film will very much like encapsulate the kind of experience yeah. you've just you've just like told me about. Yeah. We've seen Rocky Four. Um so was there any was there any scuffles in the cinema? Was there did anyone get overexcited when you saw this film or was it, was, no. was it all tame? Everybody come out and was was everybody was kind of shadow boxing on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any actual scraps. Um, <laughs> but but as was the case when the Karate Kid come out, I'm, I'm sure all the local gyms were just absolutely rammed with new kids right. wanting to learn how to how to box. And uh, yeah, it was. I, I, I can't honestly think of any cinematic experience that got anywhere near that, like before or after. And you know, I've I've bawled my eyes out in cinemas. I've laughed my ass off in cinemas, but nothing. I, it, 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 I mean, I've done all. I've done a hell of a lot of secret cinemas, uh, and been you know, and always kind of gone in with both feet on the immersive experience. But again, none of them come close to seeing Rocky Four in the state. Really, really yeah, was I, special. I don't know how secret cinema would do Rocky Four. Would they have to like kill one of your loved ones in front of you just to like? Just to really get you in the like in the mood, and then kind of solve the Cold War with a boxing match at the end of it, right? 
with also like a sort of 90 minute break, as long as it took me to sort of jog to Brick Lane and uh, and back again, you know, with a load of kids running behind me, I'll be all over that. There's not really got the snow in London to do that, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'll be all over that. Chop some logs up. Ah, oh, glorious. Yeah. So perfect. Well, let's let's kind of dive into the film, and um, obviously, yeah, we, like all Rocky films, it starts off with a kind of recap of the last. We get that fight with Clubber Lang, um, but then when we get into it, what I find fascinating about this one is the fact that it is supposed to be a direct sequel. So obviously, like <laughs> Rocky comes home from that friendly fight that he's just had with uh, Apollo, mm. which like. Is that for, uh, it's what it's five years later than Rocky? Yeah, Ro- yeah, than Rocky Three, and then it's obviously like it's the same problem that Rocky Five has when they get off the plane from Russia, and all of a sudden their kid's like twelve when he's like eight years old in this one and stuff <laughs> like that. And it's like everyone looks older, Sly. You didn't have to set this one literally instantly after Rocky Three. Um, I so, reckon after uh, Rocky Three, Stallone could do whatever the fuck he wanted. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I, I kind of look at the Rocky franchise as almost, it's like the birth of the franchise as we know it, right? This kind of like multi-film, like, mm. like, well, even even the Rocky franchise is still going with mm. the Creed films and stuff, which like are that. great. It's like, yeah, and it's like, th- this is the first one I can really think of that isn't like. I don't. Is paying is paying care and attention to the franchise like all the way through as yeah. much like because obviously before that you would have got like Jaws two and stuff like that or a lot a lot of like sequels and stuff like that before would have been just like that one did well. That director doesn't want to do it. Like the star doesn't want to do it. Well, we'll just go. Here's a whole new cast. We're setting yeah. it somewhere else. It's got the same name with a two on the end. That will do. Whereas this, like, you've got. Stallone at the helm of it. He's writing everyone. He's obviously directing two, three, four. Like he's at the heart of it. Do you know what I mean the core cast is there? Yeah. Everyone's there, and it feels like a real like I don't know passion, like a love. And I love the fact that Sly can kind of any point of his life can kind of dip in and um, tell you something about like his own experience. And I, I always find that interesting. Like. I think Rocky, like Rocky Two, is very much him having, I don't know, uh, fallen on harder times after the success of Rocky One, and then like a couple of films he did afterwards weren't so successful. So he writes a film about dealing with success, and then can you live up to it? And then by the time you get to Rocky Four, it's like, well, I'm a fucking superstar. I'm an action star. Let's really embrace the fucking eighties and make mm. this kind of overblown film that like yeah i wrote i found online uh that this film is an hour and a half long and 29 minutes and 10 seconds a montage still not enough (laughs) (laughs) so so that is that is percentage wise that is 31.9 percent how many film. over all the films? I wonder how many minutes of montage there are. Oh, mate, if they put that <laughs> together, I'd go and watch that. Just oh. the montages, yeah, that would be glorious. So, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite montage in this film, Stu? 
Um, I, re- I, I really like uh, the Hearts on Fire montage. Like, I, I just, I, I mean, it screams Kitar as well, uh, Hearts on Fire. Um, I think it's, aside from the Bill Conti one, I think it's the best song on the, I'm not a fan of either Tiger. Um, <laughs> but I'm not, and there's what other film, uh, there's No Easy Way Out, Burning Heart, and then you've got the training montage, um, the one that we heard in the, uh, the, the, the trailer. But Hearts on Fire, I think, is a really brilliant pop song. I think it's got lots of amazing hooks, a really euphoric chorus. And, yeah, and it's, it just works for, with, with the montage, you know. And he's, Rocky's got a beard, you know. He's training <laughs> with a beard, which is great, uh, in a barn. And it's just, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. And just the cutaways to to, to, to Drago being like sort of jabbed with steroids and like, mm. it's, it's, oh, brilliant. And and how, I mean, how impressive did, did Dolph Lundgren look? I mean, as a, as a specimen, like unbelievable. And yeah. Oh, there's, there's, and, there's, a, there's a certain shot in this film and it's when Drago is like silhouetted in that smoke when he's entering the ring and it's fuck like you because you kind of like you don't really get to see him kind of in a profile for the, a lot of do you know I mean you don't get to just see him it's always a lot of like closer or like in the ring but just seeing him standing especially seeing that silhouette of him it's like he's fucking scary look yeah like well, he <laughs> i think he was um a kickboxer uh if mm-hmm. i'm not mistaken i think he was like a pretty a pretty decent level uh, at it as well, and and you can see that you know he knows how to fight, and and I think you know this. this I mean, the same for Cole Weathers and and Stallone, you know, and and obviously um, Clubber Lang as well. Um, like all of them, you know, they they don't look. I think the fight scenes are brilliant in the Rocky films. Don't get me wrong; they're obviously throwing thirty shots, whereas any one of them shots would knock someone out completely and finish the fight. <laughs> Um, but you don't want you don't want to watch Floyd Mayweather in a Rocky film, do you? You don't want to watch a, a really no. good boxer. You just want nonstop big bombs and action, and that's what you get. And and I think yeah, I think that, that the fight scenes look brilliant. I still think they hold up. Um, and yeah, and I think they all look they're in it, all of them are always in incredible condition. I mean, Carl Weathers as well. I feel like I'm just literally talking about how impressive all these male bodies are, but but they are. And yeah. and yeah, I think three. You know, like they go heavy on the oil in three, like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and and I think when when you see it's just the fact that so much of it is based around that sort of like that cold war that was going on, and you know you just see this kind of joyous uh, Apollo Creed, all about the funny. You've just got this stone cold, dead behind the eyes Ivan Drago, and like you say, that scene when he does come down, looking a little bit kind of amused by it all like you just think oh there's terrors about to unfold here and like mm-hmm. and it's just yeah like the more i'm talking about this film the more i'm thinking i need to watch it again it's incredible and and i know that <laughs> like you know there is a little bit of nonsense to it but uh but i love that nonsense and that was the mid 80s right there's so many films of all genres that come out in the mid 80s that reek of exactly of yeah muscles and cocaine and everything's you know turned up to 11 and yeah i was a i was a child in that generation so it's got a very 
you know, a very important part in my life. And yeah, and, and obviously, as I've mentioned, that cinematic experience has, has cemented that in uh, <laughs> in my movie Hall of Fame. To, to pick up on a couple of points you made. Um, so f- first of all, with the, the Hearts on Fire song, originally that was supposed to be um, You're the Best Around. Like that was actually written. The Joe Esposito, whatever, it, uh, Joe Esposito, I don't know how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, that ended up getting used in uh, Karate, Karate Kid, Kid right? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, And if you kind of listen to that now and kind of what it's talking about, like in, in the verses, I think, like yeah. I, I'm not... It's, it, it kind of fits this story a bit more than like a couple of high schoolers having having a karate fight. Yeah. Um, I really like, wish there was just a studio that was full of, you know, the, the, the people that we discussed at the beginning that were just session musicians for testosterone fueled films where it was just like, right, we need to get, we need to get like Total Muscle in to record this. And like, and they were just all there, just like hoovering up gear. And uh, until they, <laughs> until they get the next script through, and it's like, right, strap on the guitar, let's go, let's write some more fucking bangers. Like, <laughs> so um, one one of the and the, yeah, the other point I wanted to talk about was um, Dolph Lundgren. So uh, the way he came onto this film, because originally Stallone had this image of the the opponent for this film would be, as he described it, like a Neanderthal, like a kind of like primitive man. And then a friend of his, James Hertzfeld, saw Dolph Lundgren at a restaurant and like basically like approached him and said, Hey, you've got this great look. Like, have you got some you got some headshots? Have you got like some some photos? Sent him home that like there and then. He said, You go get them, because obviously this is like you know what, like nineteen eighty four, nineteen eighty four. So you couldn't just be like, Here's my email, email him over. He's like, went, you go home right now come back and i'll send them over to sylvester stallone and then he wrote the character kind of based on instead of something he saw he saw the character then of ivan drago as like the future of boxing he was kind of like forward thinking in that way like because he had kind of with like club alang he had had this guy who had very much the the feelings and the ideals of Rocky from the first film, where he's this, he's very much this underdog and just wants to be the best. Whereas like Ivan Drago, it's like, this is what boxing will become. It will become this kind of mega gyms and kind of science will take over. And I'm sure that that's, that's how it is now. Right. When you get to like, even Rocky Balboa, they're like, what they'll, they'll be using AI and kind of computer generated stuff to figure out. And I know, that happens in real life, right? They kind of will track a, a fighter's stuff and then probably put it into computer and be like, this is how they fight. We'll, we'll use all that to, to work out a strategy against them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's very much the case. Um, I don't know if people still run up mountains and, and chop logs. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, and, and again, he was obviously like on point as well with the fact that steroids then become one of the biggest things in, in sport and, yeah. you know, and, 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 and obviously so many, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of the UFC and, uh, and, and when you look at that, there's still elite level, you know, top 10 athletes that are being fanned, you know, with, you know, with, with enhancing drugs in their system. So, you know, the, the, the fact that he was highlighting that in 1985 is amazing. And yeah. And, and I, well, I, 
I don't want to make too many wild accusations against Stallone, but um, he's had some impressive oh. muscles uh, <laughs> for, for a, long time. Uh, for a yeah. 60 year old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, for like he's in his 70s now, right? He's got to be like in his 70s, I'm pretty sure, Sylvester. Did he get rumbled with something in an airport a few years ago? I think he might have. That, 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 that sounds about right. I'm, I'm on Wikipedia now. I can check his. What's that? What's that tab? Uh, it'll be like. Uh, oh, he's got a big old. There'll definitely be some kind of uh, controversies. Oh, let's not let's not get into some of the controversies of Sylvester Stallone because we'll be going down a dark path. Um, let's, not go let's not go there, Stu. Let's keep it light. Let's keep it fluffy. Let's keep it eighties montages. So we mentioned montage. What do you think of that montage, which is just essentially? uh rocky driving around thinking about things that we've seen previously in the other films and more importantly a lot of stuff that we have seen maybe five ten minutes ago in this film um yeah i love it um (laughs) another highlight reel i love a highlight reel and uh if you can have a little bit of that whilst he's looking badass on a motorbike i don't even like motorbikes but he looks good on one and then, am I right that the crescendo is him launching his crash helmet at the Rocky statue? That's number three when he's on the motorbike. This one, he's like in his... Uh, oh, he's in his sports bet, car, isn't he? He's in his sports car. And there's a lot of like these tight shots on like yeah. his eyes looking really like forlorn and kind of moody where he's like, oh, like... And, and what I find baffling about it is that thing. And it, it's also what I love about it is there's there's clips of stuff where it's like, you wouldn't have seen that. Do you know what I mean? They're just yeah. showing clips of the film. It's like, you weren't even there for that. <laughs> that's that's it, not your... Is that There's No Easy Way Out? That's, that's yeah, 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 yeah. That, there? Yeah, there's no shortcut home, mate. There ain't. But, <laughs> um, I mean, in 1985, I would have had some kind of framed picture of like a red Lamborghini or a Ferrari on my bedroom wall, like 100%. So it was all about the, the kind of supercar as well. And as you say, you know, he'd become a megastar then. So he weren't going to be, he weren't going to be jogging down the street in a pair of grey trackies, was he, or chasing a chicken. Like That's true. He's going to have true. a badass sports car, isn't he? Just reflecting on his own ego. Oh, glorious. Well, that comes, that comes after this speech, which I think is like... I think every Rocky film has these kind of exchanges and a lot of them kind of tend to happen in a stairwell as well. And this this is one of them. Even if you win, what have you won? Apollo's still gone? Why can't you change your thinking? Everybody else does. Because I'm a fighter. That's the way I'm made, Adrian. That's what you married. We can't change what we are. Can't change anything, Adrian. All we can do is just go with what we are. You can't go with what you are. Have you read the papers? Do you know what everybody says? It's suicide. You've seen him. You know how strong he is. You can't win. So what do you think of these kind of more somber moments in the film? These moments where they kind of... Well, Sylvester Stallone as a writer really kind of lets us into the the heart of what this franchise is i like it i know it's going to happen but you know that ultimately it's the driving force isn't it it's the thing that inspires him it's you know nothing's going to cut to the core more than the one you love 
you know, certainly, for, you know, doubting him, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's that inspiration. He's, you know, he's inspired by that. And, you know, he's, he's got to, you know, he's got that mixed with, you know, avenging the death of his, you know, his, his, his friend and trainer. Um, yeah, I love that. I think it's, I think it's really good. I think, you know, yes, I love a montage, but them kind of little moments, like the, the, the more heartfelt moments, it sounds ridiculous because, you know, th- these are, you know, just, you know, overblown sports movies, three and four, but when Mickey dies in, in, in three and, um, and Rocky's leaning over the body, oh man, like that, that makes me upset. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, my, my go-to genre is Ken Loach. You know, I, I love a, a really bleak British film. Uh, mm. And I wouldn't generally think I'd be affected by that. But every time I see that, when, that scene you sh- you said there of Tony just saying, throw the goddamn towel, like, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, as uh, at the same point as I guess that, that shot's being thrown and then you're going to see Apollo sort of drop to the floor, twitching. Uh, and... Oh, it is. It's really moving, and and I, I love the fact that Stallone not only taps into the, you know, the testosterone and the and the and the, you know that that kind of inspirational side of the films, but but just the you know the loving you know the the, the love of it, and mm-hmm. you know I, I think it's really there's some really poignant scenes in in all of them. I've actually got the the movie poster for the first film on my wall, like literally next to me. (laughs) And and it's that iconic shot of, of of Rocky at the top of the steps in Philly. And have you seen, have you seen the video? Because obviously there's loads of videos and montages of like thousands of people doing that run every day. Yeah. 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 Have you seen the one when he was up there filming Creed or Rocky or Balboa? I can't think which one it is. I think it's Balboa. When, uh, he returns and there's, there's, a, there's a scene where he's at the top of them stairs. Someone has literally just got their GoPro and they're running up the stairs just on holiday in Philly doing the rocket and they get the top <laughs> fucking Stallone's there. It's like, Amazing. oh my God, Rocky's at the top. <laughs> Is he always here? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know the statue's here, but the actual guy. Wow, yeah, imagine that. Um, mm. uh, talk about one of the, yeah, the, these kind of poignant scenes whilst we're... Talk about. I love this kind of exchange that we get between Apollo and Rocky, when um, which I think is at like at the heart of this, and especially very much speaks to Apollo's reasoning for why he wants to fight even Drago. It's crazy how people they just care about you in that ring and they care about you when you're blinking. But once you step by that ring, Stay, it's like ancient history. Oh, oh ancient history, you know. I don't see anybody asking for autographs, do you? Huh? Hey, Can I uh, ask you something? Well, you know, this fight you're having against the Russian, do you think maybe it ain't against him? If it's not him, Stallion, then who's it against? <laughs> what do you think? Maybe it's like uh, you against you? What do you think? You know, I think you really are getting brain damage. That's what I think, Stallion. Yeah, maybe, but uh, yeah, really, I'm speaking the truth here, pal. Are you? Yeah. I don't think I want to hear this, Stallion. So I love that that is soundtracked by them watching their fight yeah. together, like one of their fights together, which is like... I. I think that 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 relationship of those two is a a, a beautiful and it like 
I've said this on a previous one, but I, I, I think that um, Vin Diesel owes a lot to Sylvester Stallone because he very much like stole that formula of we've got a villain in this film, but in the next one, they're going to become an ally. Like uh, Vin Diesel was very much done with the Fast and the Furious franchise where it's like, oh, Jason Statham's a bad guy in number six, but number seven, he's part of the crew or like whoever, do you know what I mean? They kind of like all get engulfed into all becoming this like bigger and bigger group. And it's, yeah, like the, the relationship between Carl Weathers and Sylvester Stallone, their characters is, is one that's special. Right. And I love that he calls him stallion. Like yeah. I love that. Doesn't call him Rocky. He <laughs> calls him stallion. Love that. <laughs> so let's talk about that first fight. And b- before we do, uh, we've got a we've got to hear the plethora of nicknames that um, Apollo Creed has. In the blue corner, weighing 221 pounds, a former heavyweight champion of the world, the dancing destroyer, the king of Sting, the Count of Monte Fisto. Yo, you think you got enough names? He should stay. Almost done. The master of disaster, the one and only Apollo Creed. The master of disaster. Oh, so good. King of Sting. Oh, love it. Oh, the one that the one that gets me every time is the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> Makes like, no what sense. Is, what, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I must ask you, Stu, if 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 you were, I, I'm not sure. Have you ever have you ever done like a kind of charity boxing match or anything? like no, that? No, I I I I don't like uh, fight. I'm 48. <laughs> but if, if 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 theoretically you were to, do you have a kind of nickname in the bag ready to go? Oh, oh no, uh, no, no, and it's really oh. weird because. On my MMA podcast, we, we when we interview celebrities uh, about MMA, we always ask them the two questions, which would be, "What would your fight name be?" and "What would your mm-hmm. ring walk be?" What would you? What song would you walk out to? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, no, I'm not going to pluck something because I'll be disappointed with it, and I'll, I won't sleep tonight because I'll be really pissed off that I just went for a really lame one. Have you got one? I, 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 no, I, I, I often think about some of my, some of my favorites. I think like a recent favorite for me is an MMA fighter. Uh, is it Paddy the Baddy? Mm. I think that is like possibly one of the best. It's like, amazing. Yeah. It's just, there's something like absurd about it as yeah. well. Like obviously wouldn't say that to his face because yeah. he, he could, he could probably beat yeah. the shit out of me. But at the same time, it's a, it's a fantastically, I don't know, pomp, like, yeah, it's got a pomposity to it that I absolutely love. Absolutely. We've had him on our podcast twice, and uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's a very charismatic young lad. I think uh, mm-hmm. in a few years' time, we're going to be talking about him as a, as a as a Conor McGregor legit superstar. I think he's, uh, yeah. Uh, there's another fighter um, uh, who's made Ian, the future, Gary, the future. I like the, uh, the ambition in that. Like, yep. I quite like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, Iron Mike Tyson, just the simplicity yeah. of that. He's, he's, he's amazing. I mean, Nigel Ben, the dark destroyer, uh, Ricky, yeah. the hitman <laughs> Hatton. Like, yeah, I'm just looking at, I've got 
signed photos of boxes all over my wall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to get some inspiration here. No, they've not signed them with their their actual names, but uh, the monikers. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, the Dark Destroyer. I think that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That that that's perfect. So, um, what do you think of this? this first fight like obviously you've said it's nothing like a real fight but as a kind of piece of of cinema what do you what do you make of this first fight between polo and um absolutely Jorge? love it absolutely love it that that um apollo comes out and does what he likes to do which is you know it's got a really good jab you know just just on his toes moves around moves like a middleweight even though he's 221 um <laughs> and uh but yeah and then obviously for the whole fight, it's basically Ivan Drago stalking him, literally winding up his right hand, literally winding it up uh, just for that one shot. And then obviously that, that first shot just stuns him uh, and then obviously just opens him up uh, and to the point where, you know, at the end of the first round, that they're wanting to stop the fight. And, uh, and he's obviously saying, do not stop the fight. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, and, I mean, I'm really, again, going back to that, that scene where you talk about Tony then, you know, in, in the new version, you know, the, the relationship between a cornerman and not to get too nerdy on boxing, but obviously the, the relationship between a cornerman and, and a fighter is, you know, is, is, you know, obviously the protection and the safety of the fighter is paramount. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, we all know that in, in the real world, that fight would have been stopped very, very quickly. Yes. Um, but that doesn't make for the fairy tale, does it? You know, you want mm-hmm. you want the drama and the fact that he goes out and the the turmoil of Rocky holding that towel, not knowing whether to throw it or not, because there's a moment when he's about to throw it and uh, like Apollo's like hanging backwards over the ropes, being lit up, and uh, but still manages to sort of look over and sort of mumble in a blood a blood filled mouth the words no. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, that's when you get the the clip that you showed of Tony saying "throw the towel," uh, and oh yeah, it, it's like it's everything you want to to reignite your passion for a Rocky film of the drama that you get with it, of everything that you know that there's going to be revenge and it's going to be yeah. served. And but before that revenge, you know you've got the whole goodness of of a montage. And yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I think the fight's wonderful. I really do. I mean, it, it, it's obviously very rarely, unless you're watching, you know, a a a, 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 a walled Gatti fight, will you ever see that kind of madness? Um, but yeah, I think I think the fight's brilliant and to, everything you want. To your point of the kind of relationship between the corner man and the fighter, I think this series very much has created, and what what's good is by this one it's created a shorthand so as an audience we kind of understand that relationship because we've had three films where it's kind of built up between uh rocky and mickey and then the kind of like passing of the baton to Mm. apollo and stuff like that so like we don't really in a way we don't really need to like see all that stuff beforehand we don't get the kind of apollo montage instead we get we get James Brown singing like "Living in America" for its entirety, like, <laughs> which like, I, like I, 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 I fucking love it. And like, I don't know why. Watching it this time, like, I was just reminded of. Have you ever seen? There's a clip of James Brown on like 
the news clearly like off his head on, on cocaine and he says this I'm going to be doing Papa's got a brand new bag of living in America sex machine get up off of that thing I feel good jam <laughs> I mean <laughs> let's not start looking at the, the dark side of James Brown because that's yep. that's a whole podcast series yeah uh the, the, the king of funk, but fuck me, a troubled man. Like what? 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 I think's great about like that scene is when they keep cutting over to the kind of like um, Apollo's camp, whether it is like even Rocky, um, Paulie, like Duke, his wife, and like Adrian. Is they're all kind of looking around, like, and on rewatch, like you kind of pick up on it a bit more. Is that thing of they're all kind of looking almost like they would be looking at each other being like, what the fuck is he doing? Do you know what I mean? And like, you, you get that real sense of dread from them looks that like, this ain't going to go the way, like he, he's not taking this seriously. Yeah. He obviously thinks it's going to be like this fun exhibition match where it's like, this ain't Thunderlips. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. is a guy from Russia who's got something to prove. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying, but I do think there is that element of, uh, you know, Again, going back to that clip of like, you know, is it you against you? Like, I do think there is that, you know, if you go to the previous films, like even the first Rocky film, like, you know, when, when Apollo comes to the ring, it's, it's, it's all whistles and bells, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's never understated. And, and I think, he, you know, it's just a hark back to that. That's what the fans want. Fans want, you yeah. know, they want the big Apollo show and, and they get it in abundance in this film. Unfortunately. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> His scrapping's not quite up to par. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a, cu- a couple of, like, well, well, I guess one thing we should talk about this film, and as I mentioned earlier, it's been exercised from the new cut of it, but it is Paulie and his love. What the hell is that? That's my girl. Thanks, honey. You're welcome. It's a nice song. It's my favorite. You're the greatest. See you, sport. See you. Paulie, who taught her to talk like that? She loves me. Oh. I guess the biggest question I have to ask you, Stu, uh, about this is, does Paulie fuck that robot? We all know he does, mate. (laughs) We all know he does. Of course he does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course he does. So what what do you think of Burt Young in this film? Uh not that much really. Uh I liked it when he was more kind of wheeler dealer uh in the first few. Um obviously then, you know, he's he's ultimately still always trying to sort of get his hand in in, in Rocky's back pocket and and, and, and have mm-hmm. a pan note. Uh and and I like the fact that Rocky's aware of it. I like the fact in three it starts with the the scene where he's you know just he's sick of of the fact that his whole life he's you know dominated and, and driven by by his his wife's husband, uh, and yeah, and and, and smashes the, the pinball. Uh, oh man, I'd <laughs> love to have that pinball machine. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and I, I think I, I don't know what role he had for him in four as he was sort of writing it and if he felt that he had to kind of involve him by involving a robot oh man leave it well alone so 
So that robot, like, an uh, uh, interesting thing about it is one of Sylvester Stallone's sons had, like, was was, was autistic, um, or, or is autistic, and um, that robot, like, was something that, like, he actually got for his son because it, it helped with the autism and stuff like that, the kind of robotic nature of it, and was why Sylvester Stallone put, like Seiko, I think the, the robot's name is, and uh, that robot went on tour. This like is not a not 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 a made up fact. You can check this on, on the internet. Uh, went on tour with James Brown. Too many questions. Um, <laughs> do, Maybe do we... Bert Young had said it's a it's, it's 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 a real good groupie. It does it doesn't need any booze. So like you just gotta you just gotta plug it in and then 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 you're ready to go. It's like a human flashlight, baby. Oh my, oh my. I mean that. Yeah, that's. Do you know what? Let's move on because that's that. that I, I I don't. I mean I, I've seen you know famously what James Brown would do to to his musicians and you know, and find them for, for dropping a beat. <laughs> and I guess if you get a, a, a robot that's that's not going to drop a beat and it's going to keep Mr. Brown happy, oh, I don't even want to know what the payoff is. <laughs> oh, Let's go there. <laughs> so, but yeah, back to Burt Young. Like, they, it feels like at the late stage of this film, as Rocky's kind of walking to the ring, he kind of like goes, oh yeah, I forgot to write him a little speech. So kind of like says to Rocky, like, I really love you. I like I, lo- I love everything you do for me. Like if I could be anyone in the world, I would be you. And it it, it makes for a good little gag because when he sees Ivan Drago, he turns around to him. He's like, "I take it back. I, I don't want to be <laughs> yeah. you at all." Like, and 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 yeah, we 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 wouldn't get the kind of there's that great moment where Paulie falls over in the snow for no yeah. apparent reason when they get to Russia, which is like great. Like, yeah. like I I I don't know why he's there in in russia at all really yeah but he's he's there to moan he's you know when they go to what i imagine is based (laughs) on the cronk gym when they go to apollo's gym in three you know he don't want to be there you know he's so uncomfortable and out of his comfort zone and then they take him to russia in the snow again he don't want to be there he's out of his comfort zone and i guess that's kind of what you expect from that character and i guess if he had the idea that he was going to be lifting people up in a kind of cart like a a cart like that, that's yeah. a lot of added weight right that's a yeah. kind of like that's some that like yeah that, that that's that's some that's some weight to be in there which uh leads me on to yeah the montage and what i always like to do when talk about the rocky films is break like just quickly going through all of the things that rocky does in these uh, montages so in the training montage one but then it's very quickly jumps into number two anyway is he runs in the snow and some water he helps a guy get a car out of some water. He does some speed bag. He saws a log. He starts chucking some logs. He pulls a cart. He does some pull-ups. He carries a log in the snow. He does some shadow boxing in the shadows. And he chops down a fucking tree. Uh, and then then we get that lovely uh, reunion between him and Adrian. For no apparent reason. She just kind of like, just turns up and goes, I miss you. Our son is at home, I assume, just with the robot? Stop like, questioning this shit. Stop questioning it. It's <laughs> all good. I'm on board with it. <laughs> and then we we barrel straight into the second montage where we do skipping, sit-ups, chopping more wood, more speed bag, lifting rocks on a pulley system, weird shoulder stands, like which, like, 
I'm not sure, like, he kind of, the way to describe this is, he is basically, yeah, on his shoulders, lifting up his whole body, right? Groaning, that's fucking groaning. Impressive. That's impressive, right? Like, really impressive. I know you had a, you've mentioned on, I think it was on uh, uh, Scroobius Pips Drunk Cast that you, you wanted to do a headstand over over lockdown. Mm. Um, what, like, did, did one, did you ever manage to do a headstand? And no. would you attempt, would you attempt any of these kind of weird shoulder body lifts? I have tried every single thing Rocky <laughs> has ever done. Like, I was obsessed. Like, um, like I've got no place in a boxing gym at 48 years of age and I've been there three times this week. It's like, I'm obsessed with it. And yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I couldn't do any of that, but when I skip, I think about Rocky. When I shut a box, <laughs> I think about Rocky and you would not believe how many times before I've sparred. I've just gone ding, ding. Like I've done that a million times. You don't even have the decency to ask them if they want to ring the bell. You're like, I'm ringing the goddamn bell, absolutely, motherfucker. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So let let's get on to the the rest of the things he does in the montage. And one I reckon, even as a 48 year old man, you could do. He does some ducking under a rope, mm-hmm. which I imagine most of us could. I, I could definitely do that. And I'm a overweight 30 year old. Um, uh, and <laughs> then we get him holding like this kind of. Uh, I guess it would be for a horse on his shoulders, kind of moving about. Looks like he should have then... two buckets on either end of it, don't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, yeah. It's the kind of thing that, like, yeah, like uh, you yeah. would have like a kind of ma- like a, a water maid, yeah. like kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of uh, trans. That, that's kind of like shot against Ivan Drago, like lifting mass weights on his shoulders and every muscle being. Do you know what I mean? Looked on computers seeing, like, is it working to its optimum ability and stuff like that. Um, and then he lifts up the whole gang on his, in, 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 in a horse-drawn cart, like the cart itself. And then he outruns the KGB up a mountain to scream, Drago! Like, that is, that is a phenomenal end to a... Uh, to a montage, right, Stu? But normally, I, I love them bits because I can't remember if it's the case with four, but right at the end of it, he'll shout something and the montage will finish with a bong and then it cuts to the auditorium and uh, the, the venue. Uh, is that the case for this one? I'm not sure. Because yeah, go- normally it will, it will start with uh, what is it? The, the the track final bell, wasn't it? Yeah, because like, it's that kind of yeah. like that that ding of final bell, and then dun, 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 oh, oh, <laughs> I, I, I think I think I think I'm gonna go out into Crawley Town High Street and Do pick it, a mate. fight with a bloke after this. Fucking hell, I'm getting ramped up. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about, as we start to wrap things up. Let's talk about the the final match. Um. Again, what do you think? What do you think of this match? Like this kind of bout that uh, Rocky has with Drago. Love it. Uh, you know, I, I I love the fact that, um, you know, you used to watching Rocky in the early films be just like a brawler, and then you see him evolve as a fighter over with, with, with three and four, where 
again, he's he's took on board what Apollo had taught him. He's on his toes. He's he's moving way more like a middleweight. Like he is dwarfed by Ivan Drago. Um, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be interested to know what what um, Stallone actually weighed in at, um, and, and whether or not he would have made made a heavyweight. Um, he looks a lot. Obviously, he's more muscular, but looks a lot leaner than what he does in the first the first film. Um, but yeah, he, like he, he he's up and he's jabbing and he's boxing and and obviously he's, he's trying to evade you know these these absolute thunder bombs that that you know a, a, a life a life finishing uh, that, that that Drago throws. And yeah, I'm 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 on board. Obviously, I like the fact that uh, words coming down from. Uh, you know, from the from the KGB and 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 the, the powers that be, that what's going on? Why why are the crowd now starting to chant for Rocky? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and and uh, yeah, and I, then, I, uh, I I love that KGB stooge played by Michael Pataki. You know, the really? guy who like is kind of like speaking up at the press conferences, going like, "This is this, this is." American propaganda. We are not evil people. And then, like, I think uh, Paulie turns around and says to him something like, "Hey, we're not keeping people behind walls with shotguns." He's like, "Who? Who's this guy?" He's like, "Oh, I'm the silent majority." Like, it's kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> and and then obviously he, he turns on Drago, doesn't he? When Drago's getting beat towards the end and uh, mm-hmm. sort of screams in his ear or something, and then Drago then like literally grabs him by the throat, uh, if I remember this rightly, sort of lifts him up. Uh, and right, then I yeah, think yeah. It, and Bridget he... Nielsen's just like, Drago! And like and he puts him down and, and makes a, a, bit, a bit of a speech, doesn't he? And and well, then you, yeah, you, he you said... can't help but feel a little bit for Drago at that point. Like you feel mm-hmm. that he's a little bit of a, a puppet and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and you know, you see a more human sort of side of him, but uh, it don't matter because by then, you know, the, me and the rest of my school were standing up, and we just wanted to see him get ended. And uh, <laughs> and Rocky does well, the business. Well, yeah, there's some great exchanges, like the kind of stuff that Drago says in the corner, which like very clever writing to kind of show us as an audience that like Rocky's a force to contend with. Where he says like he, he's not human; he's he's made of iron. And like when when he kind of throws that guy away, he says like I'm not fighting for you. I'm not fighting for you. I'm fighting for me. Yeah. And it's like that that's when your kind of heart like breaks a little for Drago. And I guess in in Creed 2 they they touch on that a yeah. bit more, right? Like they kind of really go into the fact that he was he was a lot more of a puppet for the system. Um what I love about this this final fight is uh, is this speech like cuz it it almost like it's no longer about the um is it ends on this speech by um the by Rocky and it's yeah it's no longer about the idea of getting vengeance for uh Apollo Creed anymore yeah. it's about ending the cold war in here there were two guys killing each other but i guess that's better than 20 million я думаю, что это лучше, чем даже 20 миллионов долларов. What I was trying to say is if I can change, я думаю, что каждый тоже изменился сегодня. And you can change. Вы можете измениться. Everybody can change. Каждый может измениться. А 
And right, we get like we even get the KGB on side. We get uh, Gorbachev's clapping, Love it. Michael Pataki's clapping. They kind of like he has solved the fucking Cold War, and it's it's amazing. It's to make like a film that started off as a simple. I'm getting revenge for my friend. Is world now peace. I have oh fucking world peace. What that's what what more could you want from a Rocky film? Uh, amazing. So um, I yeah as I as I like to close out these episodes, Stu, uh, I always like to ask my guests um, to rate these films based on wine because the Coppolas are synonymous with wine now. Francis Ford Coppola got a vineyard, so. Uh, what for you would be the perfect wine pairing? So um, I'm going to go uh, pure 80s uh, and what I've watched my parents drink and I used to watch the adverts on telly. And I'm not going Blue Nun, uh, but I'm going to go Le Pierre d'Or, uh, which, which I remember thinking in Essex in the 80s, if you had a bottle of Pierre d'Or, you were bossing it, mate. Perfect. Well, that that's what you want, and uh, um, yeah, like I think I think that's a that, that's a perfect answer for this because it, it very much uh, Rocky is bossing it, right? He's kind of he's he's very much back yeah. on top. As I said, he's he's so he's he's created world peace. Um, so the next question is: is it a bottom shelf, top shelf, or middle shelf wine? I said that in the wrong order, but it still makes sense. Um, I'm aka, this, is this good or bad? Uh, I'm I'm basing this on 1985. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> this is a top shelf film, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and now on to some impossible questions that I always like to end these with. Which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the filmographies of the entire rest of the family. Uh, I'm keeping Nick. Keeping Cage. You're mm-hmm. keeping Cage. Yes, please, Stu. Oh. A man after my own heart. I love. I love that. Uh, well, I'll have to. I have to get you back on at some point to have a deep dive on Nicolas Cage. Then, oh mate, the we'll, we'll go in on leaving Las Vegas, please. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, based on this film alone, are they the greatest film family of all time? See, it's it's a tenuous link. For this film. No, no, she she is Francis Ford Coppola's sister, right? Like Talia Shire is Francis Ford Coppola's sister. So she is she is very much okay. Like, okay, she's there. She's she's not tenuous. <laughs> okay, I love the Phoenixes, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think if that's yeah, no, we we, we yes, yeah, yeah, they are the greatest yeah. film family of all time. Yeah. Perfect. And as I like to end all of these, probably the most important question of this podcast. What does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? I have to be leaving, but I won't let that come between us. That is lovely. That is lovely, Stu. That is uh, that, that. That's probably the most heart. One of the most heartfelt answers I've had on this. A lot of people use it as a chance to get in one final gag. So uh, to to have a to have a heartfelt uh, kind of <laughs> actual reading of what that could be is is beautiful. Wonderful. Um. Yeah, I must share with you quickly that uh, when when I spoke to James King, he said to me that uh, uh, he remembers a moment when on the red carpet, somebody asked Scarlett Johansson, like, what he actually said and forgot he was wearing a lapel mic. And he went, oh, she went, oh, whisper in your ear. And she just said, 
I'm whispering in your ear and the guy acted like she had actually like he she had actually told him so obviously the world heard it as her saying I'm whispering in your ear and he he reacted as if like she had actually told him so he's like wow that's amazing like i'll keep this a secret it's like oh dear absolute dope (laughs) (laughs) well Stu, it has been amazing having you on the podcast oh it's Um, been really kind to be asked thank you so much as i ask all my guests uh where where can people find you if they want to keep up with the the plethora of podcasts and the things you do so um I, i release a few podcasts each week um Every Friday and Tuesday, I release an episode of Off the Beaten Track. That's beat and not beaten, beat and track. And that's based around seven questions um, about uh, important songs in people's lives, uh, specifically based around their sort of creative journey. So uh, there's 330 episodes of that. You can hear me talking to guests as diverse as um, Foo Fighters to Motley Crue to suede idols uh through to some amazing actors such as maxine peak amanda abington uh, thomas turgoose joe hartley uh michael smiley so that's off the beat and track uh every monday i release an episode of hardcore listing both of these podcasts are on scribius pips distraction pieces network alongside the amazing film to buried with as well with brett goldstein um and i also have a mma podcast um that i do with blake harrison who is uh famous for being neil from in between us and and we speak to um lots of famous um mixed martial artists and celebrities uh about the wonderful world of combat sports um and i also have a magazine with uh other uh mm-hmm. The, the podfather himself, Scroobius Pip, uh, and that's called Pod Bible. Uh, and you can find out about that at um, podbiblemag.com. That's like your kind of your, your enemy or your empire for for podcasts. So everything you need to know about podcasts um, is in this free magazine that you can find there. Um, and it's also available uh, on the first Sunday of the month inside the Sunday Times. So that's kind of me, really. And if you like having a dance, then... Uh, I run a nightclub, so I come to the Pink Toothbrush in Rayleigh, Essex, every Friday night. Go and get stuck into that. Amazing, Stu. Well, thank you so much again for coming and making some Coppola connections with me. Oh, mate, it's been a delight. Thank you so much. Well, I'm going to leave you on this note. He does. He does. A massive thank you once again to Stu Wiffin for joining me. That was a fantastic chat. I had a lot of fun chatting to Stu, and it went to some weird and wonderful places. But I felt like this chat wouldn't be complete, this episode, without going to my good old friend and podcast regular over here, Liam H. Dempsey, to talk all things the new director's cut. As I said, it's it's got a, it's got a long title. It's got it's got it's got forty minutes added in. But the runtime is only two minutes longer than the original. It's got loads taken out. It's a, it's a real it's a real odd sausage of a film. And uh, me and Liam, yeah, as I said in the intro, we were only going to talk about this film for like twenty minutes, and it ended up being close to an hour. So I really do hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, if you want to, if you like the the stuff that Liam does, be sure to check out Spotlight, a Star Trek podcast from a non trekky perspective. But without further ado, enjoy my little phone call I had with Liam just the other night all about this director's cut. What is your relationship to the original Rocky, the cut of Rocky for Liam? 
Oh, the original Rocky Four. Well, I, I think because obviously I came on for your Rocky Three episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of talked about my first experience with the Rocky films, or at least the the first five Rocky films. Um, was when I saw them in a kind of the season of Rocky movies on BBC One on Saturday night, where they showed each one weekly. Uh, which would have been it would have been in like the late nineties, something like ninety nine, something like that. And uh, yeah, I watched them all then, all for the first time. Uh, so literally watched all five over like yeah, a month period or something. And uh, I gotta say, you really get like whiplash <laughs> watching all the first five Rocky films back to back like that because the tonal changes yeah. <laughs> that come between the movies are quite dreams and the first one which is like you know super gritty and kitchen sink um to the uh third one which is far more kind of blockbuster kind of size the fourth one which suddenly is you, it, it's like you know the, the rocky four the original cut rocky four is like a big screen cartoon you know what i mean <laughs> it's like if you thought underlit um and mr t were like you know a bit ott in rocky three you ain't seen nothing yet um <laughs> you know th- th- this is this is very much what it is and then rocky five is you know a- a- another whole kettlefish entirely um but i mean i enjoyed it i always enjoyed rocky four i always liked it always thought it was fun but i must admit on first viewing um rocky four is a film that a lot of people really hold dear yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for a lot of people that's their favourite Rocky film. Um which I don't quite get that opinion, in, in complete honesty. I I kind of think the people who Rocky Four is their favourite Rocky film come to the Rocky franchise maybe for something different than what I do. I, I, think, I think it's that it's it's that uh that misconception thing, isn't it? It's the people who want it to be a kind of jingoistic balls to the wall sports movie or probably rings that bell the most right compared to yeah 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 i suppose i suppose so and i should say i mean this is no aspersion on rocky four because it's a film i really really love (laughs) at the end of the day yeah yeah, i have a blast of it but it's not my favorite rocky film like not not by a long shot um, my favorite Rocky movie. So I, I just, yeah, I think people who put it at number one. I don't quite get it, but <laughs> like you know, but I really enjoy it still. Um, and I've come to enjoy it more over time. I think because I think when I first watched it in order of all the others, I was kind of like it was so kind of you know different from the film I'd watched literally like four weeks prior mm-hmm. of the first movie that I was just kind of like, oh, what even is this? <laughs> and then as the years have gone by, I've come to appreciate it for what it is, like very much so. Um, and now what I will say is I said this director's cut has possibly given me a newfound appreciation for the original theatrical cut of Rocky Four to an even hide. As with, like, obviously as like a, a big, like kind of Rocky and a Sly fan, when was your like, first inklings of knowing that there was kind of stuff on the cutting room floor is this something that sylvester stallone to your knowledge has kind of talked about ever before there being like this lost or well not lost footage but kind of footage that never quite made it into the original cut 
Um, not really, to be honest. The, the only thing I knew about was I knew that the uh, Boxing Commission scene, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the director's cut, uh, where he has to go to the Boxing Commission to basically ask if he can go and fight in, in Russia. Um, I knew that was a del- famous deleted scene for Rocky Four that ended up on the cutting room floor um, because I kind of think that um, there's a scene in Rocky Balboa where he has to go to, uh, I'm pretty sure he has to go to the Boxing Commission again mm-hmm. and basically kind of say, you know, can I fight so old? Uh, will they basically sanction the fight? Mm-hmm. And I, I got a feeling of almost like the reason for that scene was because he, he regretted cutting it from Rocky IV. Um, now, the, the scene in Rocky Balboa, I should say, is a far, far better, uh, more well-written, Theme, uh, than the one in this film, which is pretty, actually pretty far away when you actually get to it mm-hmm. in the director's cut. Um, but that is the only real thing I was aware of about this. I was more aware of the fact that there's a Rocky Five like assembly cut oh. uh, that, that, that's done the rounds in previous years. And I know that now Sly is saying he wants to go back to Rocky Five and do a director's cut of that. But there is already a pre-existing like assembly cut that's always been lying around, which you can find in places on the dark web uh <laughs> if you if you if you try um, but yeah in terms of the rocky four director i wasn't really aware that there was this much footage left on the cutting room floor until sly literally announced his director's cut um which i guess would have been maybe earlier this year or maybe last year when he announced it and said look it's coming yeah because he was pretty candid right so the kind of the the level of exposure that this director's cut got because it kind of felt like as soon as he was doing it, or whilst he was in the editing room, he was all over Instagram, being like, "Hey, I'm here in the editing bay. This is like a this is like a dream come true." But it's it's weirdly poetic talking about like how it's like your, your children and like well, there's that documentary that goes along with this, right? That kind of has yeah. like he, we, we just kind of had really clumsy, like well, not his, not not him being clumsy, but it's like clumsily put together because it's him trying to do these like beautiful like metaphors and stuff like that about the editing process and talking about the film. But then you've got the guy editing the film there in the same room. So it's like Sly trying to talk over like Yvonne Drago fighting Apollo Creed, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was a weird, yeah, I know what you mean, like in terms of, because uh, I've watched that documentary. Um, I, I will say that I possibly enjoyed the uh, the documentary about the recutting of this film more than the director's cut itself. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in some way, I mean, I found the uh, the documentary is free on YouTube for anyone who's interested. You can get it on the Slice Alone Shop uh, channel on YouTube. Like track it down there. It's like ninety minutes, directed by John Hertzfeld, uh, who's an old friend of Slice, um, who's a film director in his own right. Uh, directed 15 Minutes, the Robert De Niro um, film for the early noughties, and also Escape Plan 3, The Extractors, starring <laughs> uh, Sly himself, of course. And he kind of just basically followed Sly around and recorded him on his iPhone um, over the editing process or the re-editing process for this film. Uh, of course, because Sly is, you know, a huge star, he's not kind of leaning over an avid, like, kind of, like, doing the actual cutting himself. He's kind of, like, basically ordering the 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 cut 
and there, there is an actual kind of editor, um, you know, doing everything. Yes, Mr. Stolter, like doing <laughs> the uh, actual edit uh, as he kind of dictates to him. Um, but it is it's really, really interesting, um, the documentary. I, I definitely recommend it if you're kind of, you know, a hardcore, sly, rocky fan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting watch. Well, it's great. That, that documentary is just great for some of the anecdotes. Like the, I think John Hertzfeld gets Sly to tell the story of how he found um, Dolph Lundgren. Like John Hertzfeld like, saw him in a, in a restaurant, right, and kind of told him, go get your headshot right now. I think you'll be perfect for this, for this film that Sly's doing. And then like, get, he goes into, I don't know, like, well, there's a massive revelation where he talks about how he never would have killed Apollo. Like it kind of, if he had his way again, he never would have killed Apollo. He kind of would have, well. well. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. That revelation. Uh, he kind of talks about having, uh, Apollo in like a wheelchair, um, physically disabled, or perhaps even mentally disabled. He he's talked about in other interviews yeah. um, as a result of the fight. So I'm not quite sure because he talks about kind of having uh, Apollo there as um, as a like you know mentor figure, like continue, almost being like the Mickey, like you know continuing in that role that he kind of filled in in Rocky Three after Mickey passes away. But if he's meant to be mentally, like, brutally brain damaged <laughs> from his fight with Drago, uh, I'm not quite sure. I'm like, what, you know, what role is he yeah, at? Like, Carl Weathers in the corner, like, shaking and mumbling. Like, I don't quite yeah. get what's going on. Um, but yeah, I found that quite weird that um, I've got that idea of regretting having killed off Apollo. And I can kind of sympathize with that because essentially uh, Apollo is bridged in Rocky Four because essentially the, the plot he has to die for mm-hmm. the plot to kind of go forward so it's not like Mickey's uh, death in Rocky Three feels very natural yeah whereas kind of you know he's uh, Apollo's death does feel like a uh, bridging certainly in the original in the original cut it's kind of you know done as a decision to kind of give Rocky impetus uh, to go and seek revenge, kind of thing. and I'm sure that uh, Carl Weathers could have done some great things with the character of Apollo if he continued. But it does lead on to something quite interesting um, in regards to the director's cut because mm-hmm. uh, I think I don't know if you want to talk about this now, um, but he mentions where in that documentary when he's talking about this, he says. The, oh yeah, it's kind of you know interesting in terms of how that would have changed all the films going forward. Yeah, and he actually says like he kind of said, oh, there wouldn't have been any creep. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's kind of I'm glad that that did. It, that I'm glad that it is what it is because I don't even think there would have been a Rocky Balboa because it kind of feels like Sly wouldn't have had that thing niggling in the back of his mind going, I really dropped the ball with five. I kind of really need to tie a bow on this franchise with this kind of beautiful, like full stop, which obviously ended up being ellipsis. And then we, yeah, we never would have got the the Creed films, which I think perfectly honor the character of Apollo Creed, but also yeah, carry on the legacy of of that franchise to a, a whole new generation, right? 
but I also, I mean, just as a creative myself, I, I also just completely disagreed with it. Because I was like, why? <laughs> like, well, I, he, he, even if even if Apollo survived, uh, number one, he could have died later, but even if he just, like, did, was still lived, I was like, well, why couldn't you have? You could have still done the Creed film. Yeah. It might have changed what the Creed films were. I was like, maybe if, if Apollo survived, maybe there's a version of Creed and Creed 2 where Creed, Apollo Creed himself, is the mentor to Adonis rather than Sly. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I just kind of was like, I don't see why this instantly kind of stops the Creed films from existing. But it does lead me onto an interesting theory that I had watching this director's cut, which we'll definitely talk about. Well, let's not bury the lead. I feel like we're kind of skirting around the fact. What did you make of the director's cut? Uh, well, I, I liked it as, as much as it is a film that I like. So, you know, it tells it hadn't. This director's cut didn't stop it from being a film that I enjoy and like. And there's changes that have been made which I think benefit the film. But my personal opinion after watching the movie is the theatrical cut is the superior. And I would like to see the director's cut again when it comes out on Mm Blu-ray and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's really fascinating. I think there's amazing stuff in there. The the issue for me is, and I've heard quite a lot of people say this already, in all honesty, the perfect cut of Rocky IV lies between these two versions. That's exactly that's exactly my thoughts. I kind of like I want I've like been itching to say that online that like but like I wanted to hold it off for this conversation. It it, it there, there's things that feel clumsy in in the director's cut because there's obviously there's nothing really inside of the house too much because all of that whether it involves the robot to some degree, whether it's just in the background or something like that. And it kind of, the scenes we get added, kind of like the one of Rocky and Adrian in the kitchen, it's like, well, we're not really getting too much more information. Do you know what I mean? We're kind of, yeah, they're just kind of expanding on what Adrian says to uh, Apollo anyway at the table. And it's quite, it's quite a powerful thing when she's like, I don't, I don't want either of you having to fight anymore. Like I care about you too much, and it's like, yeah, I don't think you kind of needed that added scene. And yeah, there definitely definitely is a cut between the two of them. Like Paulie almost becomes redundant in in the director's cut. I found. I mean, for me, at the end of the day, like I say, yeah, I think the perfect version is in between because I I'm I'm fine with the robot going. Absolutely fine with that. I don't really get people who are nostalgic about the robot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where it is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it is embarrassing that that is even in the original kind of film. And as much as, you know, it, it's funny, you can laugh at it. But for me, I think instantly by removal of the robot, it, it instantly will be a better film. Mm-hmm. So I think keep removal of robot. I'm not bothered about Paulie having a smaller role. We, we've had plenty <laughs> of Paulie in the uh, in the other films. Yep. I, I mean, we talked about Paulie being the the bad guy of the Rocky franchise, <laughs> like racist asshole, mm-hmm. like I think, like abusive, <laughs> like terrible human being. 
and you know he doesn't really redeem himself until Rocky Balboa. Uh, so I'm kind of fine with less. And here he's just kind of, you know, being comic relief, basically. Like, you know, he kind of comes out to kind of start on on Jarko Mm -hmm. during the press conference. Um, I'm the unsilent majority Uh, and all that kind of stuff. Tripping over in snow and things like that. That's that's fine. That that's about Paulie's kind of mark. (laughs) Let's leave him that. Um, But I so I think the removal of the robot is a good thing. Um, there are some of the deleted scenes that are reinserted, I think are really good. Like, I like the fact that we get more scenes with Apollo before he dies. Yep. I think that's really good. Um, I think that's important. It kind of makes him feel more important to the film, less of just a character to kind of be fridged and kind of, you know, move the plot forward. He actually still feels like an important character in this version. Um, there's a particular uh, a scene where they actually add in some Bill Conti's score, mm-hmm. to under, which wasn't there before, to underscore one of his speeches, which actually which adds a lot of depth to it uh, through the use of that Conti score. Because, of course, uh, originally Vince DiCola yeah. uh, took over <laughs> as the composer for this film, who I'm not as big a fan of as I am Bill Conti. Uh, so I think it was really nice to get some Bill Conti themes cut back in there. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, I, I like that we get more Asian mm-hmm. in the film because yep. she's definitely not in Rocky Four that much. Um, so it's good to beef up her kind of role because always love a bit of Asian um, in there. And I, yeah, especially after Rocky Three, where she has that amazing speech on the uh, beach, mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to have some more, more stuff with her. Drago is less robotic in the director's cut because he has little added moments of actual speech and kind of just different alternative takes that have been chosen just to make his character seem a bit more human, bit, bit less robotic. The thing I think that, I think that's good. And obviously the big thing is the funeral scene, which is extended. Uh, Because I think, I think in the original, the funeral is literally just like Rocky placing the, uh, the car heavyweight title on his going good and that's like the end of the scene. I, 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 uh, whereas I, here you've yeah. got a full speech from Duke mm-hmm. um, who was Apollo's trainer and you've also got a bigger speech from Rocky where he cries. Mm-hmm. He weeps uh, for Apollo which I thought was great and really moving um, and uh, yeah I, I really liked that that was insane. I, I just think this film what what Sly did succeed with the director's cut is making it a more serious movie, which is clearly what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But then, like, obviously, it's hamstrung because the the latter half is like fifty percent montage, and do you know what I mean? Like, when you've got the no easy way out montage, which I don't know if he thought like putting the clips in black and white made it seem like it's more serious than it like or it's kind of speaking down to the audience, being like, this is a flashback because it's in black and white. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got it when it was in colour. Like, some of these moments... It was like, hey, how they know it's a flashback? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Unless he put, like, a kind of, uh, you know, like a, a distorted edges on it to kind of really give it that, like, hazy look. And, like, some of it is flashbacks to stuff we have seen 10 minutes earlier. 
in the film like and uh, yeah yeah, uh, yeah. So what well, one of the things i wanted to kind of talk to you about is there's obviously a, a, a lot less bridget nilsson in this director's cut do you think that's the a, a decision made out of some kind of more personal than story driven like may i really i really don't know about this i really don't know because as, as far as i'm aware as far as i'm aware bridget nilsson and stallone are still on good terms mm-hmm. as far as i'm aware i'm pretty sure they are friends so i do think that um you know i don't think they're on the outs at all so i don't think necessarily he'd want to just cut her just to be petty yeah, and yeah. like you know <laughs> Um, and she is in it, like she's still very much in the film and she appears and there's even some shots that inserted that weren't there before of her, um, in the movie. Uh, but her dialogue is definitely greatly reduced. She doesn't have her speech, uh, about Drago receiving death threats and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like that's not in there. And also one of my favorite moments of her is after Apollo dies, she just, it cuts to her and she lights up a bag yep. really coldly. Uh, and that, that's gone. Um, that's not in there. There is another moment where her and uh, Dra- the other guy who who looks after Drago, like he, they share a cigarette at one point. But uh, the problem for me is obviously she's meant to be Drago's wife. Yeah. And in this, not only does she come across as more of like a token wife, but also... I don't think it even comes across that clearly that they're like married no. with a relationship. You know what I mean? In terms of because her her role's so truncated. <laughs> you know, whereas in the original film, not only do you get a very clear picture of her character and who she is, like very clear. And I actually think Bridget Nielsen's performance in the original film is really fucking good. Like I think yeah. she does a lot with a little in that movie. Um and it's clear that obviously they're married, they're relationship. And to me, I've always suspected, I don't know whether you have thought the same, that she is having an affair with the with the other guy, the, the boss man. The Michael Pataki Who's kind of like, you know, yeah, whatever, yeah. he hit, he destroyed. <laughs> that, that does come across. I think I th- there's something weird, there's something sexual about, uh, like, giving someone a cigarette, like, giving... Yeah, the lighting a cigarette. of the cigarette. Yeah there's, yeah, there's something like that's weirdly sexual about. Like I, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you as to why that is. But yeah, there is, there is a, a, a free song of something. There, you feel definitely. like that is meant to indicate something, and obviously that guy is a very in a very powerful position. Mm-hmm. We know Drago is sort of he's a, essentially a sort of meat puppet at the end of the day for them. So I, I, I've always that she's you know literally shagging her way to the top with the other guy a drago's just complete stooge you know mm-hmm. uh, just kind of literally just got a monster a frankenstein's monster to be used you know um and i just don't think any of that really comes across in this version because her role's so cut down um I, like i say i don't actually i, I very much doubt that it's some kind of grand plan to kind of push nielsen out of the uh, out of the movie uh, i think it's just maybe just a result of the, the way this new version has ended up being cut the takes they want to use of drago to kind of make him feel less less robotic than he was in the original version stuff like that i think i think that's probably why it's ended up happening but i don't like it because i think nielsen's really good in the original movie so 
yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that change. And with no easy way out, that's an interesting sequence because obviously that, out of all the montages, that's the one that's been changed the most. Mm-hmm. The other ones have been like a, a kept quite similar or almost exact to the original. Uh, certainly the um, Hearts on Fire sequence. Uh, whereas the No Easy Way Out one, not only have they put the flashbacks in black and white, but they've also changed all of the shots yes. of Sly in the car uh, to not be like close-up shots mm-hmm. of him. Um, and also, I couldn't sworn and this may just be me like mishearing but I could have sworn uh, they kind of slowed no easy way out down at some point <laughs> like I've like as in like made it like to, uh, made it less propulsive yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, which is, and also really weird to be out they changed the cutting so do you know in the, in the original car when he first gets into the car mm-hmm. And it literally is a music video. Like, it's actually, the, the edits are cut to the beat of the song. Yep. Like, at the beginning. That's changed mm-hmm. in the director's cut, so that doesn't happen. And it kind of seems to be changed to try and move it away from being a music video and try and move it into being more of a film, actual proper film montage. Mm-hmm. But this is indicative for me of what makes this director's cut suffer is I think a positive of the original film is it is a film of boundless energy. It is 90 minutes of kind of, you know, absolute adrenaline shot through mm-hmm. the system. <laughs> and you know, it is cut like a music video and thing and it is just you're in and out. It's like beat, 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 beat. There, there's no kind of room for any kind of like moments of reflection or anything like there is in the director's cut. However, it is an absolute fucking blast to watch. Mm-hmm. It's pure entertainment. And for me, this director's cut actually sapped some of the energy out of that original film. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that? Yeah, I, I, I think like the, the moment I kind of uh, hesitated whether I was going to enjoy it was when they took out that like explosive title sequence from the original oh. with the with the gloves exploding and the kind of fireworks of it all i was like and they, there's that really like elongated flashback to number three and it's kind of like yeah oh we get do you know what i mean it's really it's really kind of holding your hand going like apollo's really important we're going to show you this this moment of them kind of reconnecting and stuff like like yeah all of that stuff so like okay and it, it, it left me a bit confused like and i was what i found with the director's cut is my thing was who is this for and it's like it's for the fans right it's it's it, 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 it this isn't going to be getting any new audience really like no doubtful so why are you like giving us more of an explanation at the beginning. Do you know what I mean? The kind of the the previously on Rocky that was there before was absolutely fine. Like the kind of that I don't know. That yeah, that that opening, like I talked about of the of the gloves, is just it's iconic. And it's like instead we get that like really clumsy crawl because like the title Oh 
Yeah, really clumsy, really clumsy, though. I mean, that really felt like amateur hour, that, that bit. Like, I mean, let's talk about this, because I've got to ask you, you saw this in the cinema, like I did, but we saw it in different cinemas. I think you saw it at the Prince Charles, I saw it at the Brighton Odeon. And uh, when you saw it, the Q&A that is attached to the film with Sly, was that shown before or after? That wasn't shown at all. That So that was only on specific showings at the Prince Charles. And it was like only over like opening weekend. And then that was it. Right, right. So you didn't get the Q&A? No, 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 no. So okay, fill us in on the so Q&A. I went to see the film at the Brighton Odeon. It was on for one night only. Mm-hmm. Okay. And literally, like, got in there. And I'd heard, I'd listened to a podcast. Uh, I'll shout out the Flycast. Uh, which is part of the uh, Last Action Heroes podcast network. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally, I'd listened to that, and a bunch of the guys on that chatting about their experiences of seeing the film in the cinema. And everyone who's seen it in cinema was mentioning about the Q&A. I was saying it was the front of the film, like the beginning of the movie, right? It's like 20 minutes, like Q&A, right? <laughs> and when I was listening, I listened to this like podcast before I saw the director's cut because I was like, I'm not going to be spoiled. Like, yeah, it does. I already know what happens to the film. So I listened to this podcast on the day, I think, I was going to see it. And, um, and they were going, oh, yeah, Q&A at the front. And I was like, oh, the front of the movie, that's odd. Because whenever I've seen, I've been to see a film that's got a Q&A at it, unless it's like, in person, actual in person Q and A. Sometimes you get that in front of the film to like present it because it's a big event. You'll go go and see the actual person. But when it's like one of those recorded Q and A's, that's always at the end because it's kind of like there for the hardcore in terms of like if you want to stay and watch this Q and A, then you can. Something like you know, and, and literally the people who are really interested will stay and watch the Q and A. But when they were saying it was at the front of the film, I was like, the front of the film? I was like, that's a weird decision. I was just like, oh, I kind of hope they don't do that when I go and see it because I, I would want to watch the Q&A, but put that at the end when you're kind of, you know, reflective about the movie. Don't mm. put that at the front. And I went to see it, and I would say it was the most packed cinema audience I've been in since the pandemic. Amazing. Um, like it was, it was really because it was one night only, so all the Rocky fans were out for this that night, right? But I was kind of like randomly, I'd put my seat. I always deliberately put put my seat in a section of the cinema which I think aren't going to have many people in it because mm-hmm. uh, I hate people. Um, so <laughs> literally, I, I'd put my like seat near the front, and it, I was in this little section on my own. No one else was there. Uh, I was completely on my own, but the rest of the cinema was packed, right? And literally, the, the film came on, and not only you, you had the usual, like, you know, 20-plus minutes of ads and trailers first, before the film, which even that's weird, I think, for this kind of film, this <laughs> one-night screening. Yeah. Like, you don't usually get, like, all the trailers and ads as well. So, like, literally, you had all those to deal with. Then it comes on, the Q&A starts, <laughs> and immediately... I was like, oh no, because I was like, this Rocky Four is still the most popular Rocky film. Yep. Even if you adjust the box office for inflation, it's made more than any other Rocky movie, including the Creed films, right? Mm-hmm. So 
for me, I'm like, it's the most popular of the series of what is already a mainstream film series. And I was like, a lot of people coming out to see Rocky Four, yes, you will get the hardcore slice ad, but a lot of them will just be people wanting to re-experience Rocky Four on the screen at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. It's just, they're, they're probably not even thinking particularly about it. They're just thinking Rocky Four is great, right? And I was like, I think you're misjudging your audience here mm-hmm. because you could tell that there was like a palpable annoyance having to sit <laughs> through this 20-minute Q&A with Old Fly about the film, about Rocky. And it's very much, yeah, there's some interesting tidbits in the Q&A, but it's mostly quite puff PC. But if you're, uh, if you're a fan, you already know most of what you're talking about in this Q&A, yeah, right? Yeah. Especially if you watch the fucking 90-minute, like, three-part <laughs> documentary. So it's that thing where I was going, the people who are just here because it's Rocky Four. Um, and they just want to see Rocky Four on the big screen, don't give a shit. The people who are really hardcore fans have already know most of this information and they would have stayed for the Q&A at the end anyway. And literally, it really felt like it kind of put a bad mood on the audience, like a bad atmosphere. Oh, like, I actually heard, at one point, right, I actually heard someone mutter, like, oh, just shut the fuck up, mate, shut the fucking film. Like, I think, like, right, from some of the audience. Now, that's the kind of thing that usually enrage me, mm-hmm. right? But in this situation, I actually went, thought myself, fair enough. Because yeah. at the end of the day, whoever's just put on this screening has misjudged the audience. You should have put this at the end. Just show fucking Rocky Ford at the car and get on with it. And so we get past the fucking 20-minute Q&A. And then the film finally starts. And then you've got another fucking seven minutes of Rocky Free before you get to the fucking director's cut. And by that, I was like, this is a joke. Because by that time, it felt like there'd been like an hour yeah. before you actually <laughs> started the film we paid to come and see. Yeah. Like, you know, because that Rocky Free recap is definitely longer than the actual one in the film mm-hmm. yeah. in oh. uh, Rocky Four. And like you say, cut the iconic boxing guards, which are iconic completely. And really, those boxing guards, they say this is Rocky Four for me at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, I just, it, it was just a bizarre decision. It doesn't even make sense because the obvious idea of that recap, recap was to put more emphasis on Apollo, mm-hmm. like you say, to be like, right, this is very much film. It's actually about Apollo 3. And we've got to put more emphasis on him in this recap. So they have the great theme in Rocky Three, where he's like, you know, when we fought, um, and we get to see that scene again, and plus lots of other fucking scenes. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing, it's not, it, it was muddled because not only do we get that scene, but we also get the scene where Rocky uh, annoyed Chuck, um, like one of his trophies, like at his, uh, at his own statue. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, why, why is that in there? That's nothing to do with fucking Apollo. Like, get rid of that. Just, just have the Apollo bit. That thing, like, I mean, literally, you're kind of like, if you want to do that, if you want to do that, just have the one Apollo scene where he talks about the Eye of the Tiger and go straight into the foot. Like, have that as a, a weird mm-hmm. kind of like old pre title type flashback and then go into the main bit. You know, it just felt bizarre. And they even um, they pull out 
a track from the original Rocky Four soundtrack that wasn't used mm-hmm. in the ultimately in the actual film, which is a good song. Uh, which is um, it, it's sweetest victory. They use that in <laughs> in this like flashback, and that's kind of cool. But I was like, well, shouldn't you have played that through this entire flashback, like the whole song or something like that? So at least it felt like there was something new going on, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Kind of propelling us forward, something like really, really bizarre. To and it just put the kind of like drag on the film <laughs> so much. Yeah, I the, the the I think I think like kind of as we start to get some closing thoughts on this film is that I can see what Sly wanted to do with this cut in regards to like making it more somber and obviously putting stuff back in where it's like it's a bit more explicit that rocky said like you should do this fight so like the guilt is a lot more and like do you know what I mean he feels it when he like has to get his vengeance on his dead friend but at the same time i'm a bit confused on like one who is like who is this really for like you said like it's not like those people who want to kind of just go rock and sock and robots like i just want to see do you know what i mean like the fights i think they're going to be turned off by this because it's that thing of oh all of a sudden this 90 minute kind of adrenaline rush is now kind of slowed down a bit with a lot more like contemplation do you know what i mean it kind of felt like you had to, yeah it, it very much felt like you had to eat your veg before you got like the, the like do you know what i mean pudding like yeah. that is yeah. the kind of when it gets to like Russia, basically. Like it's like it's yeah. There's like a lot of a lot of veg eating before you get to no easy way out, and he, even down to the fact that there's minor changes. But like when he does his speech at the end, they've used an alternative take of Gorbachev storming out of the uh, stadium as opposed to clapping, and it's like well. What are you trying to do now? Are you trying to like go because <laughs> like Russia are, are are bad again? Do you know what I mean? You're not solving Whoa. world peace. You're going it, with this. It, he tried to play down the Rocky wins the Cold War aspect mm-hmm. of the original film, didn't he? Because the, his speech is, is definitely truncated and far more low key than the original, even though he says basically the same stuff mm-hmm. uh, to one aspect or another. Like, just the way it's shot, the way it's filmed, the kind of reaction, it kind of, it, it's very much played down uh, to try and get rid of that kind of aspect of the film, which obviously is, you know, one of the most mocked things mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that thing, the Russian premiere, like, storming out, I think it's just meant to make it a little bit more realistic, you know, than him getting up and going, oh, yes, like, he even he is won over (laughs) by, you know, Rocky. And I think, now, this is the thing, this is something I want to talk about before we go, is I find some of the changes he's made in this film really confusing when you try and line it up to the Creed film. Yep. And I don't quite know whether... I, I think maybe that's a deliberate choice because I definitely... 
there's all kinds of weird kind of rumours kind of swirling and stuff like that about kind of, you know, a lot of fans like to think that kind of uh, Sly has been done some kind of disservice by the Creed films, that he, like Creed 2 was kind of wrestled from his grasp. Mm-hmm. And kind of, you know, he uh, there's less Rocky in it than there should be, and stuff like that. And it's true to say that there are multiple deleted scenes uh, from Creed Two um, on the Blu-ray, uh, and also apparently more that are not even on the Blu-ray um, that are Rocky scenes which were cut mm-hmm. um, from. Two kind of you know, and a, a lot of people kind of believe it was this thing of kind of like, oh well, we're making a Creed film, not a Rocky film, and you've got to kind of calm down, basically, the kind of like you know, and this film, it kind of feels like it's almost directly acting against Creed Two um, <laughs> and Creed in a weird way because some of the weird changes that are made, which didn't make sense to me, so. The boxing match, as in the Apollo and Rocky boxing match, in the original Rocky Four, we see that in the reprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually see that entire scene where they come in and they have a private fight between them, which is referenced in Creed mm-hmm. um, in the recap, like just before we get into the main film. And that's not in, the, despite that, you know, the Rocky Free recap in this thing 10 hours long. That scene <laughs> is not there. And again, it doesn't really make sense because that scene is very much a scene about Apollo, an important scene about their relationship. Yep. But that is cut. And I, because of the fact that obviously this hasn't got the scene where Rocky comes home and gives Paulie the robot, mm-hmm. uh, where he has the black eye and his son asks him about it, because that's no longer in the film, it kind of like feels like that fight between them almost like didn't happen yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and of course in uh creed that fight is referenced because adonis said to him like you know i heard about another fight that he had everything and rocky says that he that creed won that fight and in that documentary where about the recut he talks about the original ending of rocky three where you see the result of that fight and it isn't that apollo wins it's a draw mm-hmm. between them which was cut. And I was like, okay, that's weird. That that kind of seems like a slight rewriting of what happened with that fight. Then, <laughs> in this, I don't know if you noticed, but they re-edit the dropping of the towel. Yes. The, you know, throw the damn towel! Um, in the original film, it's the whole thing of he holds on to that towel. And then, you know, Apollo gets killed. I think he kind of drops the towel. And it's very much made so he has real guilt and remorse mm-hmm. because he could have thrown the towel and he didn't. Whereas in this, it's recut. He never has any chance to throw the towel or not. Like, literally, it's like he grabs the towel and instantly Apollo says. Mm-hmm. Unlike, literally, he has no chance to grab the towel. Like, it, it, to actually throw the towel at all. And it very much, it almost seems to be like absolving Rocky of any blame. Mm-hmm. I'm going like, oh, you know, he, he, he couldn't have stopped it. And in this, it's kind of made more, less about kind of guilt and more about this thing that Duke references in his speech of the Warrior's Code, mm-hmm. uh, which of course is referenced in one of the songs. 
the warrior's cold, there's no surrender. <laughs> uh, like, like, and it's more about this idea, and it's kind of making it a slightly loftier idea in this film, that this film is about loftier themes than just kind of, you know, a revenger. It's about the warrior's code, and that's why Rocky has to do this thing. So actually, the guilt that he kind of feels about that is kind of slightly pulled away, which makes Creed 2 slightly not working quite the same way, because of course, in Creed 2, one of the huge things about that film is at the end of Creed 2, spoilers for Creed 2, Drago does throw the towel, stops mm-hmm. the fight between uh, Adonis and his son, who Adonis is like brutally battering by the end of the film, and he throws the towel. And Rocky sees that, and you feel like that's the moment that kind of Rocky and Drago actually have a moment of understanding because actually Drago does the thing that Rocky couldn't do. Mm-hmm. He saves his son, his loved one, and throws that towel. Yeah. And now, to me, that juxtaposition between the two films doesn't quite have the same effect, I think. Like, you know, I mean, all of this is only in reference to the actual direct cut. Obviously, it does because you can just take the film, however, whichever version you want to take. Exactly. But, yeah. like, you know, but it just seemed, it just seemed odd uh, to me. And also, I don't know if you noticed this, but at the end of the film, when Rocky is leaving the ring, mm-hmm. he taps gloves with Drago. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of, yeah, new shot, not in the film before, where he taps Dra- gloves with Drago. Drago looks up in a little bit kind of like little boyish kind of way and like, yeah, <laughs> Rocky kind of gives him the respect of God being like, you know, like, oh, let's tap gloves. Actually, you know, it's just a fight. And we, we've done that. We've basically, we've followed the Warriors Code now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about Reginald, the Warriors Code. We, you know, we've done that. And Apollo died the way he wanted. And actually, it's fine that you killed him. <laughs> and we'll just tell our guys. And to me, I'm like, no, that's not right. I, like Rocky, Drago, Rocky is the nicest guy ever, right? Mm-hmm. But Drago is the one guy who he hated, the one guy who he fought, who actually he couldn't forgive. So I think, like you know. And then when you see in Creed Two when uh, Drago comes to Rocky's restaurant. And they have their little sit down. There's real, still real resentment. Mm-hmm. You killed my fucking best friend. Yeah. Like, you know, and I was like, no, that's not that he wouldn't have tapped gloves with him. I don't believe that would have happened. Mm-hmm. This guy, literally, it's not a case that it was an accident. He fucking killed him. <laughs> like, that's, like, that's the thing. It's not like, oh, it wasn't meant to happen like that. Like, literally, he went out to fucking destroy him. Yeah. If he dies, he died. He said that over his dying body. <laughs> He's a villain. And it kind of just seems like ridiculous. I was like, no, I don't believe that would happen. It kind of seemed like an off cut. Like, you know, I just, and I, yeah, for me, those kind of moments really felt really weird. Like yeah. when try to line them up with the Creed film. And it felt like an almost deliberate thing to like separate this from the Creed movies into its own kind of timeline. Isn't there stuff in regards to Bridget Nielsen's character that, that Drago like um, divulges in Creed Two, kind of like the way he was treated and stuff like that? That I remember, I, I read something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, um, re- she she left him. She left him as a result of him losing. Yeah, and like, I think 
like I read somewhere that like this new cut, like it's been a while since I've seen Creed Two and what he exactly says, but this new cut kind of even muddies that water a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Because it kind of like she seems to be like I because I think that moment you're talking about of the touching gloves, like she's like there, like holding him as well. Do you know what I mean? She's like, oh, really? I didn't quite noticed that, but if that's true, yeah, that that is weird as well. Yeah, it kind of makes it seem like she she's very much in his corner. Like she's kind of like holding him from behind and stuff like that. But yeah, that that touching of the gloves almost feels like it was a like the camera's running and it's actually that Sylvester Stallone saying to Dolph Lundgren like Yeah, I, I literally I thought that. I mm. watched that going that feels like hey, that feels like an offcut. That feels like something he just randomly like almost like yeah, he, I mean, he's the director of the film. He has he hasn't called cut yet. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just gone like, oh, good, like good going. Like we, we we've nailed it or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's probably one of the last yeah, shots yeah. they got on the day or something. It's just gone like, yeah, we we fucking we fucking nailed it, Dolph. Like let's let, let let's get a couple of beers in or whatever. Yeah, it's a it's a it, it, it's a bizarre. I don't know. It's it is that thing. I think it always like it. This is a whole other podcast in itself but that thing of sometimes things are best left as they were do you know what I mean like and it's especially when it starts especially when you've got like legacy sequels involved and what you're doing kind of starts to rewrite history and stuff like that and it it just feels yeah like- yeah definitely um I mean like you know to wrap up like I I, I still enjoyed it very mm-hmm. much it was fascinating to see as a spy fan, like, you know, this different version. I definitely want to watch the director's cut again. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like some of the stuff that adds to the film. Like I said, I think it's, it's one of those things where and there are going to be people who will actually do their own super cut of the two versions together. And uh, like I say, the perfect version lies between them. There, there is definitely... Um, a fucking even better film mm. to yeah. be made than either of the cuts between if you take both of them and kind of mush them together. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I'm like, being that we only have these two cuts, the one I'm going to go to probably, and I, I literally am, I think, going to rewatch it like soon because I kind of want to have that adrenaline injection of the original <laughs> cut of Rocky Four after seeing this version um, because I like missed it slightly like watching this version and now it's, it's made me appreciate that mm-hmm. film more for what it is and actually it's kind of like it for, for what it is that kind of 80s excess mm-hmm. it's kind of you know the absolute one of the best examples of it mm-hmm. and uh yeah you know it, it definitely is a blast of a movie and i i kind of think the director's cut made me appreciate that more for what it is Perfect. Well, it's the perfect time for you to uh, watch Rocky Four because remember, it is also a Christmas film. So, so you like, yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always forget when they turn around and say, "When is it? When the fight gonna be Christmas fucking day?" <laughs> like I'm just like all these people gathering around on Christmas Day to watch Rocky and Jago beat seven fucking bells out of each other. <laughs> Well, well, that feels like a perfect place to to end the conversation, Liam. Thank you so much for coming and chatting about these this well this new this new cut of Rocky Four and uh, kind of filling in the listeners of, of of what to expect. And well, we've ruined it for them anyway. But thanks for coming along. 
Merry Christmas. Merry fucking Christmas to you, sir. Massive thank you to both Stu and Liam for coming and talking about these two very different films that happen to be the exact same film. If you've seen either of these cuts, please don't hesitate to get in touch on all the socials, which are at Caged In Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd, where we can continue the conversation. We can go, which cut did you prefer? Did you prefer the original 1985? Do you prefer the the new kind of serious uh, buttoned-up director's cut that Sylvester Stallone's put together. How much would you like to see a director's cut or at least the Stallone cut of Rocky Five? Let us know. I'm sh- I'll, be, I'll be tagging Liam and Stu. I'm sure they'd love to jump in on the conversation. So, as it's the time of giving, Christmas is uh, upon us as we speak. The, the jingle bells are gelling, the 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 uh, the last Christmases, the last Christmas in, all of that good stuff is happening. I thought I would give you a little gift by giving you a little podcast recommendation, and this one's quite fitting because these guys had Stu Whiffin on their podcast last Monday, and it happened to be quite a heavy, rocky chat. And it, it, this episode, yeah, feels like a, a great sequel to that podcast, and the podcast, of course, is unequal sequel uh the fantastic podcast that talk about people's best worst and dream sequels if you're not listening to it i really do recommend it because there's a not only is it a great podcast there's some great crossover onto this podcast they've had um yeah like a handful of guests who have been on there have uh, uh been been on this podcast as well a couple of names to pull out of the hat helen o'hara for one an amazing episode as well as Nick Helm, my boy, my boy Nick Helm, who, um, I'll, I'll tell you now, this is the time of giving, is uh, Nick will be back on the podcast in January for a very special forerun of episodes I have planned for then, which will you'll find out about in due course. Obviously, as it's giving, listen to Spotlight, listen to uh, all the podcasts that Stu Whiffen is putting out, the plethora of podcasts. The man puts out so many podcasts, it sickens me. And with joy and also a tiny weeny 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 bit of envy. <laughs> so yeah, maybe in the run up to Christmas, and I'll, I'll, I'll start giving some some more recommendations. As obviously, as you'll hear at the end of this podcast, always listen to the podcast on the Bread Crumbs Collective. So that is the Pod Charles Cinecast franchised and a drip town lemony main i think i got that right yeah a drip town lemony main that's the one uh ariane's fantastic podcast so as for next week on this good here podcast we will be talking about a film which has relation to one of the year's biggest releases by the looks of it it's got a outstanding uh pre-book numbers for this film and it is of course spider-man no way home but no 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 no. we're not talking about that spider-man we're not talking about the toby Maguire spider-mans we are talking about the one spider-man film that has a copula connection that copula connection is john schwartzman who was the director of photography and that film is of course the amazing spider-man in 2012 
To join me on that episode, I'll be joined by a very, 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 very great journalist and podcaster, Andrew Godian, who is one half of the amazing Rambling and Amblin podcast, who looked through all of the films from the um, Amblin Studios label. So, yeah, you've got some real heavy hitters on that podcast. And also, uh, films they covered... I'm on that bloody podcast. I joined those two guys to talk about Harry and the Hendersons, and it was a wonderfully bizarre conversation. And uh, if I look back on it now, that it... Something that was talked about in the episode kind of maybe gave me the germ for the idea for Movie Brat Bros. So thanks to Andy and Josh for somehow inspiring me to do a whole new podcast. What is Movie Brat Bros, I hear you call? Well, that is an exclusive Patreon podcast series that will launch in January, where I will be looking season by season at films of the movie Brats. And someone sort of kind of jammed in there to fit as kind of cohorts of Francis Ford Coppola and season one we are looking at the films of Brian De Palma so do join us over there for as little as £2.50 or $3 a month to get two episodes a month for that goodness you can also support the podcast on ko-fi.com forward slash caged in pod patreon that one is patreon.com forward slash caged in pod or if you don't want to support the podcast financially which i totally understand it's testing time especially over christmas uh you might you might not have that extra cash and i, I totally understand it uh you can always leave a five star rating on review on apple podcast acast or wherever you're listening to this podcast right down now so as always guys I have been Petros Patsilovus, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. So remember that there is no way out when you have a heart on fire and always treat your sex robots with care and attention and goddamn respect and love. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Drip Town Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.